Hello, everyone, and welcome to the TetraCast. My name is Brian Vitali, and we've got a jam-packed episode, and I've got a whole bunch of people here to talk about it. Who knew that the end of February was going to be a rock slide of RPG news? In the last week, so much stuff has come up, some that we were expecting and some that we weren't. Anyways, let's just bulldoze right into it. Joining me today, I've got George Foster. Hello, everyone. I've got Joshua Torres. Every single RPG property had something to say this week. Every <laughs> single one. We've got James Galizio. Didn't hear about any Atelier news this week, so I don't know. There was actually Atelier news from the Twitter showing off the new content and the, the DX things. I stand corrected. Or <laughs> you tried. <laughs> and also joining us today, we've got Alex Seedhouse. Happy Pokemon Day, everybody. Alex Seedhouse is a friend of the site, so it's cool to have him on board to talk all things Pokemon, which obviously was a major constituent of this the week of news. Uh, but before we get into Pokemon and Final Fantasy and uh, Bioware, before we get into any of that, we're going to put it on the back burner and instead do what we always do and talk about what we've been playing. Because we also have had a few games released in the last seven days as well, on top of news. Obviously, uh, Persona 5 Strikers came out, I, think, I believe, last Tuesday um, with some early access if you bought specific editions. And then Bravely Default 2 released just a day or so ago. Obviously, a lot of us have been diving headfirst into that. Uh, so who wants to go first? Fight over it. Alex, let's talk about Bravely Default 2. Oh, that's right. I mean, the deep end. That's right. <laughs> So we're just um, gonna go straight into it. You you've been reviewing it for your site, Nintendo Insider. How far are you right now? Uh, so I've played for about seventy hours. Seventy um, seven zero. That's seventeen. Seven zero. Yeah, no, right. I I beat it after around sixty hours, which was I think last weekend. Um, there's one job for me to unlock. Um, I guess saying there's a post game is not particular spoiler territory. Mm -hmm. um, people probably be happy that there is. Um, so there's one job left to unlock. Um, I enjoyed the last two thirds of it, but the first third is quite rough um, because there are some horrendous difficulty spikes with uh, the asterisk bosses that you uh, you fight. So um, once you're kind of past that first third. Um, it starts to ease up because you um, get more jobs. You can try and uh, switch up your party in terms of strategies and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, so I think people will end, you know, um, I play RPGs less regularly than you guys do, um, but I played the, the last two Bravely games um, on 3DS. So I was looking forward to this one and sinking all that time into it. Um, I just hope that people don't play the first third and think, oh, what's this? And they hit those sort of difficulty spikes and really struggle. Uh, I think one of the bosses took me like four or five hours to get past, Ooh. just from just persevering and just uh, doing it over and over again. Um, but obviously, you know, if, uh, I don't know how much you want me to talk about it at this point, or if it's going to be so we move on to again later. Um, but I, I, well, yeah, I mean, everyone's been, you know if they didn't get an early review copy obviously there's kind of starting out like i'll talk about my experience because i didn't get an early review copy i bought this and i yeah, maybe... I don't know how far you're in into it so far um, right now i'm about like eight and a half hours into it at the at the desert area like the second town that you're in 
And okay. I, I, I've been doing it in hard mode because I'm like, oh, sure, why not? You know, oh, it's it, put me to shame. No, no, no. It's it's <laughs> tough. No, definitely, it it is rough. Like early game, like you said, it's uh, like I've had to, like right now, I'm kind of grinding like people's jobs and like because there's certain pr- passives on um, each job tree. You know, you level um, mm-hmm. jobs in this game. Final and, Fantasy V, baby! Yep, and at certain <laughs> levels, you, you either get like an active skill or a passive skill that you can set. So right now, you, you get your... Uh, it was nice to like have that old-timey RPG, JRPG like pace to it. Like at the very beginning, you're just um, this this uh, main character that you, you can name, but his default name is Seth. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you kind of... Just kind of get washed up. It's kind of like a, a almost like an East style, uh, type beginning where you just get shipwrecked and then you're washed up in the sea. Um, what what do you think page. of El- what do you think of Elvis so far? Because obviously a lot of the voices and everything are quite uh, quite UK orientated. So like Elvis is Scottish. Um, Elvis, like yeah, but when they when they because this is one of those weird games where you're kind of pushed or forced to listen to the English dub for a bit before you can switch uh, uh, voices from like you know. The small time I played with the English voices, I you know I I liked English voices, but I just wanted to, because I'm the type of person that's like ah you know I, I'd rather hear the Japanese track for these kind of games because that's just the type of player I am. But uh, generally, like you know I lied, I didn't think you know any any of the voices like were, felt out of place. I think I think the biggest voice change that really um, affected uh, me like from English to Japanese voice was the like the main character Seth's voice. He sounds much more mature and like deep voiced in the japanese dub of the game which really surprised me because he's he kind of has a softer tone in english uh, in english dub mm-hmm. which is huh like it was it's and then, weird and there's dag as well who's one of the uh uh the asterisk holders in the prologue i think um he's australian so there's oh, always okay. like weird accents going on in this game um so yeah it it's just uh Bit of a wild game in terms of the different re- regions that they go to, but I don't know if it's like because like Xenoblade games, I think early on were all sort of like done by Nintendo of Europe. Well, not Nintendo, sorry. Yes, I'm getting mixed up. Thinking Square Enix mm-hmm. in terms of bravely and all that kind of stuff. Um, but they were all sort of like um, a mixture of sort of like European um, accents and things. And the, the English. Well, I like how they did um, in Xenoblade Two. I don't think it landed as strongly, and I don't want to get too much of a tangent, but I do think it was interesting mm-hmm. how they, like, well, we're going to localize this in English. Why don't we have each of the Titans in Xenoblade 2, like, Gormat is Welsh, and Morardane is Scottish. Like, they they actually kind of made it so that in-game, oh, if a person speaks like this, they're from a certain place, using the English voices to do that. It, well, yeah. it wasn't always perfect, but it was there was some thought behind it that I thought was pretty clever. Going back to yeah. Bravely Default, it's interesting that you say, uh, that it's rough in the beginning, but gets stronger at the end. Because I haven't played the initial game, but isn't that kind of like on its head from how the uh, reception of the initial game was? Well, I, it's just because you know, obviously, it had the two demos before the game came out, and the one, the first one, I think, was it a year ago or something like that. Yeah. Um, the main criticism was obviously the difficulty, and then when it came back in another direct, I think, or something, uh, they said how they'd used all that feedback to sort of shape the experience. So, going to the final game, um, I. I've largely played it on normal difficulty, so uh, I've not completely cheaped out from hard mode. <laughs> but um, the the thing is, there an easy that, mode? 
there is a yeah, there is a casual difficulty, and my issue with it is that um, as you get to sort of particularly the it has a sort of like dip where the first third is quite difficult because of the lack of job breadth that you have. Then you're all right because you start unlocking things, and there are certain attacks that uh, certain jobs, which I don't want to talk about what it is specifically because I don't want to like ruin when certain things are unlocked for people, but. Um, there is a certain job that has an attack that pretty much lets you beat bosses quite quickly because it, you deal initial damage and then a few turns go by and then that attack that you did causes more damage um, after a few turns. So if you do four brave attacks and then do that you know, to um, uh, a boss character with a lot of HP, um, you can quickly deal quite a lot of damage because you deal like, I don't know, five, six K damage uh, initially per attack and then the same amount of damage a few turns later. So if you do that four times, you're like pretty much wiping out half the health bar um, quite quickly. Um, but then you get the kind of, it eases off, and then obviously the back half of the game and the post-game gets quite difficult because then you have bosses that are much trickier to um, deal with. Um, and those sort of tricks that you learn to rely on in kind of the middle part of it uh, start to um, be less effective. Unravel. Yeah, so you then have to think, oh god, right, I've been doing that now for you know part of the game. What do I do now? Um, and I've started like jumbling jobs around. You know what people are looking forward from this game. That's uh, quite unique to it. Um, to, like clarify for people when you're, you're talking about brave attacks, like you know the whole mm -hmm. conceit of like the bravely default games, uh, like just fr fundamentally is in in the in these turn based battles. You can actually like borrow your turn from future turns up to three additional times. So you're basically giving up your action in the next subsequent three turns that your character would have to attack all at once or do all these actions all at once for this turn at mm -hmm. the, at the cost of like be skipping your future turns essentially. Yeah, and um, obviously when you have a full party character throughout the game, they all quite conveniently meet each other early on. Um, without much drama, um, and then team up. But um, yeah, I mean, you, you typically use, you know, you have your offensive characters, your support characters. So, you know, I, I have obviously someone who primarily heals the party and tries and prevents them from being wiped out. Um, but then obviously, characters uh, such as, you know, uh, this mystery job that I won't tell you on, um, with the attack that I use to primarily deal damage to people. Um, so you can. Um, Brave to um, take up to four turns at once. So use your current turn and then three up to three turns more if you want to. Uh, or you can default. So that means that you sort of bank a turn without having a sort of penalty. Um, so you, t you can take one turn to default, which also you defend. So obviously you're expecting an attack to come in. I mean, the standard enemies are quite easy to sort of like rinse through. Uh, I never really have much difficulty with that. But that was also another issue that I had with the game. <laughs> Mm, um, yeah. So when when you get into a dungeon, um, I don't know how many of them you've been through so far, maybe one or two. Um, there are a fair few of them in the game, um, but um, my experience with it, uh, you know, you go through the dungeon, uh, you're going to obviously the enemies, there's sort of like three states that they have. Um, one is that, you know, they see you. Um, I think it's like, um, I haven't had much experience with Dragon Quest, um, but uh, Dragon Quest, you kind of see them around, so you can kind of run into them and attack them and all that kind of stuff. Um, if they see you, they run at you, 
and then you know you start a battle and all that kind of stuff. Uh, or you can swing your sword at them and if you creep up behind them and try and get uh, start a battle with an extra brave point. Um, but the way the game works is that based on your party level and general um, strength, I don't know what it's based on, equipment, weapons, level, job level, God knows. But um, if you're um, deemed to be a high level, um, when the enemies see you, they sort of... Um, you get some sort of like sweat light on the brow icon appears and they run away from you. They can notice. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then, um, so that indicates obviously that you're relatively strong for the area you're in. And then if they have sort of like a red kind of cloudy mist around them, that means that they are stronger than um, what you're at currently. So you have that visual sort of cue as to how that battle will go if you try and get near that enemy. And this is a big like, contrast from like uh, from previous Bravely Default games because they were based on random encounters and you can actually have this yeah. toggle in the options that says, hey, you can actually just turn off no encounters if you don't want to do it or crank it up. Yeah. Riding going. Yeah. So, I mean, you, there's no options like that on this, which I thought, okay, fine. Maybe they couldn't do that. But um, it's weird in the post game, though, because obviously all the enemies are just running away from you all the time. So, <laughs> a bit of a weird experience. But, um, in the dungeons particularly, though, obviously, most of those, um, I think most of them, if not all of them, um, end with a, a boss fight, as you, most people expect. But you'll run through the dungeon, and, and all the animal, enemies will be running away from you. So you think, oh, I've got a pretty strong party. And then you get to that boss fight, and then you get wiped out within, like, you know, yeah, two, the boss two three are, turns. Definitely... And you think, what? So there's yeah. a lot of instances where the game seems to, like... Um, indicate to you that your party is strong and you know you're okay this area is you know a breeze you know push forward um but then you sort of hit that difficulty spike wall which is usually obviously the the asterisk boss fight um that was a bit frustrating because then you know you then think oh wow am i just bad at video games um maybe i should stop playing rpgs um but but you said it eases up as you go on a bit yeah so it's not i mean i probably sound quite negative about this whole experience at this point but um i have really enjoyed my time with brave default too it just has these sort of very roller coaster wave of emotions playing it where um after that first third um which i think roughly is after chapter one um that's the part that starts to even out because you have a bit more breadth to play around with um and there are a lot of story beats which, of course, I won't spoil, but that happen, you know, as you progress through the game beyond that point that are really interesting. Um, there are several things that I really appreciate about this game because it's a very, it feels like a very classic era Square Enix RPG from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Like when I was talking about, like, you know, you kind of wake up and you're uh, from this beach and you're kind of, like, within the first hour and a half, I was already in the middle of the first dungeon with, like, almost a, a full party. And that's something that, like, I wish more RPGs had these days where, the, like, the ramp up to, like, being able to play the game didn't take so long because a lot of RPGs is like, hey, there's a two-hour beginning and you're barely taking control of your car- uh, character. It's like, look, man, I just want to start playing the game. And I Looking really at like- you, Persona 4. 
<laughs> and I really like that this game, like, you know, is kind of like, okay, here's this character. You're kind of introduced to these characters. You meet your first two characters, like, within the first 15, 20 minutes. This is how the battles work. And it's like, it's the, the tutorials don't feel overbearing. There are tutorial tips, you know, obviously front-loaded, but it doesn't feel overbearing uh, in this game. And then you're obviously, like, as CD mentioned, you won't really get a, to play around with the jobs for, like, you know, uh, for a bit. But once you get there, it becomes fun. Like, right now, my uh setup for what what uh, like two of my characters are they're like uh vanguard classes they can take tank a lot of hits they have like this armor and they have like this uh like part of the armor stats uh part of your equipment stats is like chance of being targeted plus x you know plus a value which you know, uh, affects ai behavior and like being able to target them more often than your more squishy party members and then from other jobs that they were in, like they both went through Black Mage and White Mage, I got them passives that uh, not only um, amp up their attack every time they attack from the, from their trees, um, but they also drain health and drain MP for every hit that they do. So they're just basically tanking hits, and every time they hit, they're just re restoring all that uh, all that health. And they also have uh, White Mage as their subclasses because in this game. You can equip up to two jobs, so that means you can um, that the second job that you uh, equip as a sub job, you have access to the, all their skills that they've learned as well. So these are basically two effectively like paladin classes that tank hits and absorb health and MP, as well as being able to cure and restore that MP if they need it, which is really effective. And I really enjoyed that aspect of customization to it uh, mm. so far. And the It'll be interesting to really see like the meta evolve from this game. Like we also saw it a bit with Octopath Traveler, when like there was some crazy shit you could do with uh, what's her name Tressa's like uh, item using job, mm -hmm. and combined it with like spell casting to do some real wacky overpowered stuff. Uh, it'd be interesting to see like what people land on in terms of like combinations that you might have not expected that end up being like incredibly efficient or like overpowered and i i think these games they they definitely shouldn't try to look for like perfect balance they should allow certain combinations to be like honestly a bit op or whatever and then it's the the you know discovering what works and what works really well can end up being kind of a bit of a a gameplay aspect in its own right that's a yeah. that's the cool thing about this game is that they I know a lot of people, especially Colin, our reviewer, who wrote a fantastic review on the site, very in depth. He went all go read it. Yeah, him and CD just put in a he lot. He played of it for uh, seventy-five hours, I think. So he he's got CD beat. <laughs> <laughs> he he's yeah. um, he's done more than I have. Uh, you know, the last job I haven't unlocked yet. Uh, again, that is more. I you know I've tried that boss probably fifty times. Uh, and I was like, right, I can't do this yet. So I've gone away to do other stuff and then gone back to that. Yeah, so, but I know that. Uh, yeah, I know he's sort of done everything um, he possibly can in this game, which I have not yet. I know when uh, um, when Cullen wrote his preview about like that listicle of like the four things he liked, two things he was kind of mixed on. Like one of the mixed on mm -hmm. things was the equipment load for each class because as you take on a job, they're they have this equipment load mm -hmm. stat on them and you can only equip a certain amount of like equipment you can't yep. go like all out with them because if you go over that equipment burden it'll drastically reduce the stats for for mm -hmm. that character and yeah. so you have to make strategic decisions of like of how much you're willing to um equip or like what are what are the best ways you can optimize your equipment 
to be- best make use of the the burden that you're given. Like for the Vanguard class that I mentioned, they have a huge equip load, so I just put the, a lot of equipment on uh, on them that increases their physical defense as well as their chance of being targeted stat. Meanwhile, like the squishy ones, like the white mage and the black mage, I'm like they have low equipment burdens, but they can they have equipment that can dish out and add on to the restorative power or magical power. And but you also have to be worried about okay, I have to give up them having like good physical defense because if you if I put on this armor that uh, gives them a lot of physical defense, it'll add on not only a lot of equipment load but also the chance of being targeted stats on them so you kind of have to accept that these classes will be squishier inherently and whatnot and you're and you're hoping that like you're able to skew the stats and manipulate the stats enough to for the ai to target your vanguards instead and for them to take the aggro and i kind of oddly enough i kind of like that equipment load stuff because you're you're kind of forced to make strategic decisions and not always going for like the best thing or the most ideal thing possible for them it's kind of it's uh, it's more of a checks and balances uh, chemistry that they have. It prevents armor from being just like straight upgrades all the time. Like, oh, this is better. The yep. other, the old gear is useless now forever and ever. Yeah, you can you can get a more powerful weapon on paper, but the uh, game itself, you know, the, the balancing of the actual weight of the equipment. Um, I mean, just for anyone who can't listen to that and thinks like me as a filthy casual thinks oh my god what the hell do i have to do all that uh there is like a button that you can just hit on the equipment screen to equip recommended you know based on what you have in your inventory hit the button it just chooses it for you so uh i um understood the kind of weight bearing in the sense that the heaviest characters in battle are the ones that draw the most sort of aggro from whatever you're fighting um but obviously the ones with the lowest uh weight would uh, not get attacked as much, but if they did get a hit, they would obviously take more damage because they don't have a strong um, armor or whatever. Um, and there, but... there are like a good amount of like enemies even this early on in the game that like hit all your party members. So yeah, and it gets worse. <laughs> <laughs> so just like, oh, man. and, and so, it's also um... also cool too because you have to you have to think about like the attributes of your enemies. Like when I was talking about like that life leech and MP leech, if I mm-hmm. hit if I hit enemies that are undead. It'll have the opposite effect on them because they're undead. You're not really leeching life; you're just hurting yourself because mm-hmm. of their. Uh, of their that's a cool interaction. Yeah, that, that's pretty cool. Uh, before I forget, I, I wanted to also mention that when you were talking about like how the enemy encounters work in this game and how you can actually see them on the map and how they run away from you, it's kind mm-hmm. of a a weird neat, neat thing that you can manipulate is because if you initiate a battle and there are other enemies around them, it'll like highlight them in a blue aura. And uh, basically signifying to you that you take on all these enemies at once, but they come in reinforcement waves. So after you take on out the first reinforcement wave, uh, the next enemy wave comes in and whatnot. So you can kind of like finesse the running away systems. They don't really disappear. You can just like like run against the wall right by each other and you initiate that battle. Back them into a corner. Yeah, Yeah. And um, it doesn't actually... Early on... Uh, Sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. I'm just saying that the bonus for doing this is that there's a big job point bonus for taking on these consecutive waves of enemies. So it's really like a a really, um, I'm going to say the most intuitive way, but a a really neat way to kind of grind more efficiently, I guess, for those job Mm. points. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, I was just going to say like the game as you progress will make that simpler for you. Um, so there are items that you can get and eventually buy. Um, 
that when you use them, um, that, that the items are all for the different, uh, I think they call them families. So type of type of enemy you're facing. So it's like humanoid, insects, beasts, um, undead, you know, stuff like that. So if you go into battle with, let's just choose undead because it's simple, a skeleton, um, and you have used that item before you triggered that battle or went into that battle, um, that actually will then just chain battles for you. Um, so the item increases the um, uh, the chance of you having multiple encounters after that. So rather than having to rely on the enemies in the actual world and you know <laughs> pushing them against the wall and all that kind of stuff, um, you can actually just use an item like that, go into battle with that type of enemy, and then rather than having to rely on what's in the world, um, it will just chain battles for you after um, after that particular initial encounter. Um, and like you say, um, there's been, you know, amongst all the reviews that are out there, a lot of criticism about grinding in this game, um, which I never really had an issue with. I know, like, people have been saying, well, there's a job system. Of course you have to grind and level them up. But um, I never had an issue with that. I quite liked kind of, oh, I'm going to change this job now and level that up to the um, maximum level and get all the skills. I, yeah, I don't um, see it as grinding. It's more just I, you're always, you always have a goal mm, in mind. The diff- I kind of like that always, yeah. like, you're always progressing I mean, if you prefer to have goals like as you're progressing i don't think there's a that like that you don't really have to grind this game as you said like even in harder difficulties like there'll be like difficulty spikes for sure but it's more of try, trying to look at your like jobs and seeing like what kind of chemistry what uh can i uh shape my party in to make you yeah, to make the best use of offense and defense against this enemy because like all those bosses like aren't like doing random attacks they're kind of then you know what to expect once you see them once like okay this is the type of like attack pattern with buffs and debuffs they're using and then you kind of have to kind of put all that into perspective like okay there's a way to counter these you don't have to like go max up all your jobs and whatever well i just yeah. like i feel like a lot of it is a bit of perspective like if i i have not played this game i downloaded it but i've been busy with other things this week so i haven't um started it yet but if i get a new job in a game like this and I'm like, okay, I want to do like five battles just now, just random encounters, because I want to see what this job's capable of, how strong it is, what some of the abilities it can learn. Like to me, that's just part of playing the game. But if I go into the mindset, oh, I got a new job and now I gotta I gotta level it up, what a grind. It's just kind of like it's the same thing viewed two different ways. So it it just kind of depends on how your initial feelings of are on the, the base systems that play in the first place. I, I think the my, my issue. Yeah, my issue with it is the the jobs is the fun part, like leveling those up, experimenting with them, right. switching them about job and sub job. You can have, you know, so your main can be uh, Vanguard. That's uh, one that uh, is early on and Josh has unlocked. Um, your sub could be freelancer because you know there are benefits to things like that, such as uh, examine, which lets you uh, check out it. Basically, scan an enemy and see how much HP, their weaknesses, and all that kind of stuff. So that's quite useful. The playing around with all that stuff is great. I think lots of people are going to really enjoy that side of it. The, the issue I have with it is the the grind doesn't necessarily come on... I mean, there is the grind on the job side of it, but the, the items and the chain battles makes that relatively straightforward for people. And uh, there's also a sort of weird uh, sort of like street pass-like game um, or activity you can do in this uh, in Brave Thought 2. So there's um, a lady you can talk to who... Um, Basically, you go up to her and say, I want to set sail and go on an adventure. And she's like, oh, great. I like boats. <laughs> um, I love her. And, uh, and 
what that does is basically uh, over a period of 12 hours, so say you're playing Bravery Default 2 right now, um, uh, over a period of 12 hours, if you suspend the game whilst the game's suspended over 12 hours, um, you go around basically and you connect to other random players that are playing Bravely Default 2. And uh, you can kind of in this weird thing that's automatic, so there's no interaction to it really, but uh, you basically sail around and there's a chance you can get a treasure chest or find a bottle in the water or stuff like that, or visit an island and all that kind of stuff. You get items from that, these orbs um, that can uh, give you job points or experience and stuff like that. So my issue isn't, with that sort of like thing, you know, like you go into bed, all right, I'm going to suspend the game, fall asleep, or go to work, or whatever, you know, distraction you've got in your life. Um, suspend the game, then come back to it. You'll get those sort of items that sort of like buffer and bump up, you know, all that kind of process for you. A progress, 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 that's the word. Um, my issue, though, is these difficulty spikes. And uh, playing the game through, when you get hit with those kind of walls, these bosses you come to, um, it's hard to work out what the issue is. So as I mentioned earlier, uh, all the enemies in the dungeon are running away from you. So you think, well, my level must be strong enough. Maybe it's, my, you know, it's the makeup of my party. Uh, so you change the, you start thinking, oh, I'll try this or I'll try that. And then that doesn't work. And you think, oh. So you end up sort of like uh, head spinning a bit. You're like, well, my level must be OK. Um, I could go and grind for a bit and experience and try and level my party up and gain a few more levels. Uh, or maybe it's the job setup I've got for my whole party. Is that the issue? And that's the kind of lack of clarity I think this game runs into quite repeatedly, where um, you're not quite sure how to overcome a boss. And the even the last boss uh, before I hit the credits, um, I basically chanced out um, on that because... Um, one of my characters had a sort of passive ability where they can withstand an attack with one HP. And um, I dealt, I uh, mentioned that um, job, uh, one of the jobs has an attack that deals damage over time. Um, I'd attacked with that uh, person, and then they got wiped, and the other three characters got wiped. And there was this one character left on one HP. Um, and that was how my game ended. <laughs> Everyone's well, dead. Uh, sometimes, sometimes it's uh, better to be lucky than good. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I was so relieved. I was like, oh, I've beaten the game. Ugh. Anyway. Sorry, I do like, um, this has been a wonderful discussion, and I do really like, I'm very much like a mechanics, nuts and bolts, how the gears work, which is, seems like this game should be perfect for that's, me, especially games with jobs are always like excellent <laughs> for that sort of thing. But uh, I, just in the interest of like, we're a half hour in, I know we've got a ton to yep. talk about. Um, I don't know if maybe you can give me one final one sentence or two sentence uh, takeaway mm -hmm. from your time with Bravely Default 2. Um, I, Is I think it good? That, yeah, I think it's a game that everyone will enjoy. Obviously, read Cullen's review. Um, mine actually isn't up yet because live stuff happened this week and I was a bit behind. I've written half of it, but another half to go. Um, we look uh, forward to reading it. Yeah, I mean, I I think uh, there's a lot to like about it. Uh, the story is interesting. Uh, the twists and turns. Uh, one thing I literally was like jaw dropped, like uh, when it happens. Um, and I, it's a game of perseverance. I think if people 
push through that first part. I'm, I mean, Josh is on hard mode and cl clearly still enjoying it, so maybe I was just bad. I mean, but, maybe uh, okay, that's probably just a me thing of like, man, I really like. It. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, I think I think the initial, the first impression is a relatively positive one. But those early difficulty spikes can be very punishing with what's available to you at that point in the game. Uh, but push past those, and I think the rest of the game. Uh, people really enjoy and maybe you too can beat the final boss with one character on one hp just like me and you can <laughs> the goal we all strive yeah. for <laughs> that's so good uh, yeah i guess uh, um before we move on i just wanted to mention i don't know if this changes you know uh, after where i'm at it early on in the game but i really uh appreciate the way they designed the towns where there's a panoramic view where you can just get a zoom out of the entire town and in this panoramic view, you can tell right away these are the places of interest. This is where the inn is, where the shop uh, with the weapons and armor are. These are where the side quest NPCs are. That's all in this panoramic one-shot view, and then you know where to go right right from the get-go on that. I don't know if like if it, every town has that you know, that panoramic like zoom out all in one shot mode, but I really enjoyed that aspect of it. That's such a smart side decision of like instead of wandering aimlessly like oh there might be an npc quest npc that i'm missing i have to go look at every place it's like no just go to that panoramic view and you can go check right away it's like that's there 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 okay good that's nice i like it so has anyone uh put any time into just because it's the other major release of this week for our coverage has anyone put time into persona 5 strikers other than obviously josh who reviewed it which the embargo for that was pretty early, but has anyone played it since its release? Uh, yeah, I've been playing a little bit of it. Uh, another game I'll talk about in a bit, uh, the Steve Universe game, which I went on about last uh, two weeks ago now. I focused on that, but now I've finished that, I've jumped into Strikers, and I'm I'm really enjoying it. Like It's it's surprising, but I got really nostalgic jumping back into the world. Like I start, started off, and I was hearing the same sort of songs, hearing the characters' voices, I was like, Man, I really loved what I played at Persona Five, and that was like seventy hours. I just burnt out towards the end, so it's not like it was a five-hour thing. And then I was like, "Yeah, I like that game." It, I genuinely really enjoyed Persona Five, um, and now it's more suited to me by being like an action game. Uh, but everything Josh has said. Did about you play it, only the uh, only the original game, or did you play Royal? I played the original game for seventy hours, Royal for ten hours, and then I was like. Nah, <laughs> I just don't have time. I don't have the concentration <laughs> to go again. Uh, I'm I'm more tempted to go back to Persona Five Original to finish that than I would be to try and catch up with everything I did in the original. Um, no, I know I'm I'm pretty sure most everyone listening to this is aware, but Strikers does not incorporate royal content. So I was just curious about like how recently it was you had played it, like uh, Royal, which was only a year or so ago, or or the original, which was a few more years than that. Well, yeah, it has been a few years, and I think it was my. I think it's like two, three years ago, maybe more. Wow. Okay. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying it. It's there was a point when I started playing it, I was like, oh, this is gonna be another this is gonna be another Hyrule Warriors for me. This is gonna be another game that I play and I realise I don't like the combat of and I'm just I'm just gonna drop it. But I started experimenting a bit more with the characters, uh, so I started playing as Ryuji a bit, and I really like how he plays, and then I started swapping between between him and Joker a lot. Uh, and I think they have a really good dynamic gameplay wise. Like I was just charging up attacks with Ryuji and then Joker's got this thing where he's using his guns uh, and you can like follow up attacks straight after that. So I was just flying around as him. 
And I think the moment that made me, I'm, I'm all about those like one, those one moments to make you go, yeah, this game's rad. And uh, the one for me was when I was playing as Joker and you can press circle to like jump to specific locations. Uh, and this one that I jumped on, I then pressed triangle and then I just, I'm just riding around on the skateboard, just killing shadows left and right. And I was like, yeah, I really like this game now. Like I'm fully on board. Uh, so, so, so is it like a, obviously when I just played Hyrule Warriors Age of Calamity, what was that? November, December, whenever it was. Is it like that in the sense it's like a battlefield and you go around killing things or is it a bit more structured than, than that? Yeah, I, I think Josh is probably better to talk to about it because I'm I'm only one jail in. I think I'm near the end of that jail, but I haven't seen like where it goes beyond. But so far it seems much more... You do have this... It, the area is sort of open, but it's not like, oh god, this base here is being attacked. You're kind of just going around doing little objectives and it's all like serviced by the story. So I, I don't think it's like that at all, which I think is a change. I really appreciate it. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, like, you know, CD, like in like, Hyrule Warriors, there's like large open battlefields, much like, you know, the Dynasty Warriors games could definitely like borrows that aspect of it. And this one, since I know you've been playing through the Persona 5 game, um, it's much more like those games where it's a, uh, you're uh, navigating like a palace, uh, uh, which are now jails in this game. But instead of like a singular place, like you know how Kamashita's uh, palace was like the the school, which is like narrow hallways and navigating through that. This one, it's more open in the sense that there you navigate through streets and like trying to solve puzzles uh, around there to progress and whatnot. But it's structured much like a palace. It's like the scope of it is is more open, but not as open as a as an open battlefield. It's much. It's just like streets and walkways and whatnot. But you're still sneaking around, much like the base game where you're trying to ambush these patrolling shadows and once you ambush them um they like kind of spill out into like a lot of enemies instead of it being turn-based it's that action gameplay like hyrule warriors where you're stringing light and heavy attacks together but uh unlike that it's it has the the flavor of persona where you can like freeze the action at any time by summoning a persona and then you can go choose okay i want to cast this spell i want to cast this buff or debuff and that's uh, where it really diverges from the usual Dynasty Warriors-esque formula because it borrows so many elements from Persona 5, like even down to, hey, I ambushed a shadow. They're all days that I can do an all-out attack and whatnot. I think for me, the most impressive thing about it so far is that in comparison to something like Age of Calamity, which is still, like, I know a lot of people like that. I know, CD, you like it as well. Uh, that adapts Breath of the Wild really well, like graphically, but I feel like it still does a lot of the Warriors stuff. Whereas I think I could have gone into Strikers not knowing it was a, a Musou-esque game. And I would be like, yeah, this is just a really well-done action game with a lot of enemies. Like, It takes a lot of what Persona does and uses it. It doesn't just toss it aside. Like, Stealth is actually quite a big part of it. Uh, you've still got all the party formations. You've still got SP and stuff like that. And like SP runs out fast like it does in the normal game. Like I'm, I'm just really impressed. I'm sat here like, this could just be Persona 5 2. And I wouldn't bat an eye. Well, maybe a bat oh, an eye. Remember, like... remember, like one of the original trailers, they like slyly did the oh yeah, uh, yeah. the logo where it had said P five two on it. Okay. So I actually have played like uh, two hours of this, which is probably not the smartest decision because I haven't played the original game. But I I kind of have this stupid mindset where I'm like, damn, Persona like multi platform on PC. I want to get the PC version, and I did the same with uh, Persona four when it released on PC like last summer. Was that when that was? Yeah, uh, or was it? Whenever that was. And so I, I'm still also in the first dungeon um, or the first jail. 
And like, man, that game looks really good at a at a high frame rate. It goes yeah. up to sixty FPS on PC, and I think it also is if you play it on PS Five. Yeah, I'm not certain though. It's so, but it's just it's so like flashy and fast, and it is kind of like it, you have to be thoughtful. Like I played the game on normal mode because that's just normally what I pick, uh, and then I was doing the very first like major section where joker has to basically stall a bunch of enemies for a long period of time while the rest of the crew deals uh does their what their objectives are and i like died and i'm like oh shit am i like terrible at games no 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 not the, not the tutorial oh. but it's kind of it kind of does this like in media res thing where you have the tutorial battle and then it like backs up of like an hour and then you play through some of the story and then you get back to the tutorial oh, okay. battle a lot of games do that so i was in the second like the real time through and that's when i died okay. so i still died early on but then, like, I started thinking, like, all right, let me, like, let me dash a bit more. Let me not just spam combos. Let me actually, like, pay attention to, like, where I'm standing, where the enemy's standing, and use those, like, uh, George mentioned the skateboard that you jumped on. Like, let me use this light post and then press uh, triangle to do, like, this swinging, like, a roundhouse kick, or, like, while while circumferencing the, uh, the pole of the light shaft. And then, like, I was actually, like, all right, I had to, like, change my approach, and all of a sudden, it's a lot easier. Uh, and something about that where I actually felt like how I play this game matters. You don't just spam attacks and win. You actually have to like engage your brain a bit. Like, yeah, this is my jam. I don't know. Uh, of course, a lot of the like references are flying over my head and I might pause just because like I, I feel like I'm cheating myself by jumping straight into strikers. But I was just kind of turning my brain off and just enjoying like the art style and the aesthetic and uh, the small glimpses of the characters, even though I don't have any repertoire with them. But yeah, it was just kind of a fun diversion for a couple of afternoons. Like, you know what? I'll try this. Let me just, let me just, you know, play through this for a few hours, a couple nights in a row, and uh, see how I like about it. And it's it's enjoyable even without the context. So I think I've had a good time with it. I don't think you need the I, well, I'm mixed because obviously I didn't finish Persona Five and I didn't really play much of Royal. I know Royal doesn't matter. So like maybe I'm a softcore fan of Persona Five, but I don't know. I, I think it just plays well on its own. Like. We need some context for I think for Persona Five because like it, it takes place several months after and they do call back to some events and and also it's hard to really get uh be connected with the characters if you don't already have that previous connection with them because a lot of their character arcs are resolved and over in the base game and there's more like an epilogue to them of like the lessons that they learned during new there's new conflicts new you know enemies that you face new villains and they they reflect you know what they've learned in the base game onto this game essentially well the one one thing that i'm kind of vaguely aware of early on in strikers you're like gathering information downtown in the city and futaba's like standing in a corner and she's a little on edge and i know that that's like a major part in the first game but i don't know like the details so i'm kind of like ah, i know i'm missing something here like i don't know the context here and i know that i'm having a lesser experience because of it so i try to do play the when i whenever i like jump ahead in a series like this i try to at least have the mindset where i'm like all right i'm admitting to myself where i have shortcomings in my like knowledge base here and i guess for alex also uh, like another big thing that separates this from your usual third-party licensed warriors affair is that there's a lot of narrative cuts in this game like the narrative progression of this game it's just it feels like another like chapter in Persona Five, essentially the the yeah. way you interact with NPCs, like the little stylized dialogue boxes and portraits, and the little dialogue options that Joker can like respond to, and people are talking to him. It's 
almost exactly like base persona 5 and they they uh, they do such a great job of like making it feel like a natural like continuation of that story so you don't feel like you're totally alien to like all of the changes they made to the combat system so like the these characters and how they interact with each other and with the new characters feels just like persona 5 almost I did see some. I did see some people like post some uh, videos of the UI and P5S, and it's actually impressive how close they got the feeling of the uh, interface to uh, Persona Five. Mm. Do Do you still have that sort of cycle between the missions of you know like here's a couple of days at school, uh, you can hang out with people, and then into another battle? Is that all gone? This is uh, this is after the the first like story chapter jail the that the georgian um brian are in this turns into like a road trip across japan uh oh, <laughs> so you, like the the time time management is not really an issue in this game so even if you go into a jail you can uh go to this checkpoint and exit out at any time and you're not like wasting that day you're just getting like a free health and free sp recover through these checkpoints and dive back in yeah, having, so, a, having everybody in a, a van together is probably a great way to build social links. Oh, I wish they could do that. It's only five. I will say this though: my only my only complaint so far, um, it's kind of oh. worn down a bit now. But it's to to do with what you said, Josh. Where there's a lot of cinematics. When I was when I'm doing this first jail, I was constantly being interrupted. I know it's it's sort of the tutorial stage, but I'd like I jump twice up a thing and they'd be like, okay here's this thing okay do this and i'm like okay i get it like the gameplay is so fun yeah. let me figure it out a bit. but it does it does let up as you go on but sometimes i'm just like in typical persona fashion, <laughs> it, it definitely interrupts you a lot in the in those first few hours of like you're just making sure that you know how to do this like it's okay it's okay <laughs> i have a brain i can do this i swear <laughs> That's it. i'm gonna be a persona 5 royal before i move on to it uh, but i i rode the whole uh, wave of disappointment when it was revealed as p5s Everyone's like, oh, I got a Persona 5 Switch. And it was like, <laughs> <laughs> it was like a completely like. Um, but it is on Switch. Switch. Oh, th- this game. Yeah, the game is, but it wasn't like Persona yeah, 5. Yeah, I know what you mean. I'm just being cheeky. Uh, oh, I didn't know Strikers was on Switch. Oh, yeah, wow. it's on Switch. I'm sure it probably, I'm sure it runs okay, but it probably has a few dodgy frame rate issues like Age of Calamity does. But um, it's uh yeah it's on my list to, to play but i need to, I, I sort of made the choice to play through royal first before moving on it's been it's been amazing to see that you know people who were very iffy on this game for you know being branded as like a muso warriors game like come around and it's like no this is actually you know more than that this is this is definitely defying my expectations like an action rpg in the persona 5 style and it's it's kind of, it's kind of just nice to see like you know at least some vindication or justification of like no guys this is this is way cooler i swear i'm not crazy. yeah it's kind of got that conflation of uh persona spin-offs being a dubious precedent and then muso games you have to have like an acquired taste for them and here's something where it's like we swear that this persona spin-off muso game is good but it, <laughs> but it actually is that, that's the sort of thing i was i was wondering because obviously persona q and persona q2 Sort of yeah, like Adam might argue that those are actually really good. Yeah, that, that, I I really like those, but um, I just sort of wonder what other spin-offs will come up. I mean, obviously they did the dancing games as well, uh, which I haven't played. Persona uh, Five Arena. I'm hoping. Dude. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I would love that. I would like that. Like, 
thing I like about Strikers as well is just to take these characters and be able to do something with them that isn't like turn based. Like I like being able to just jump around as Joker and actually like do the attacks myself. So if they did an arena sort of game, I would I'd be jumping on that so fast. Um, I'm still sort of like so behind that I don't even know who or what Morgana actually is, apart from a cat. So I'm, I'm still looking forward to finding out what that is. Not future. a cat. <laughs> well, not a cat. Well, yeah, but yeah. So that's my next step in life to work to find out the answer to that. <laughs> it's kind of weird. Like I, I devoured Persona 4 Golden. Like I played it like three times back to back when it came out on Vita. Uh, I remember like Christmas trips where I'd be like with my folks and I'd be like sitting in a corner playing Persona 4 Golden. And but then when Persona 5 came out, I don't know if it was just where I was in my life or I was busy with other games or life stuff or maybe I was graduating. I don't remember, but I just like skipped it and then like never went back to it. And I like now it feels like, well, that that ship sailed. And I know it really hasn't. That's kind of a weird mindset to have. But I kind of feel like it's a solved science. It's it's already been there. But I don't know. At some point, I should just like if I find a gap this summer or something, just play through Persona 5 Royal just because I really enjoyed what I played it for. And I don't really have a good reason for skipping five. I just, it just happened. I had a very uh, mixed um, experience with Persona series games. Um, Persona 3, Fez, I think I got all the way through to the last boss, but I was underleveled, so I couldn't beat it. Oh, you, uh, you couldn't have one person standing with one HP left? With one HP. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Um, Persona 4 didn't, I don't think, I'm not how far, sure how far through I am on Vita. Um, but I didn't finish that one off. Uh, Persona 5, the original version, I, I started, but the pacing of it, I don't know, I just wasn't really in the mood for the long chunks between all the, the sort of dungeon parts of it. Um, and then I think they announced Royal for like Japan release, and I thought, well, that's going to come over eventually. I'll wait for that. So obviously when that came out, which was that last year? Early last year, was it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's all a blur this last year. It's been horrendous. It's like Groundhog Day every day. Um, but um, yeah, I, I started that. and I, I was a bit more sort of like, right, this is it now. I'm going to definitely get through it. And I'm determined this year is the year I'm going to cross Persona 5 Royal off and say, did it? I now know what Morgana actually is or whatever mystery. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> for Persona games for me, especially from 3 onwards, the 1 and 2 were different because of where I was in my life. But I got them done throughout like, you know, the course of like several months, but like for three onwards, I was just like, these games were getting longer and longer and longer. I, I basically have mm. to start and beat them within a month. The, is that how, how long did Royal take you again? It was 110 hours, but the, keep in mind, Royal is, um, if you're talking about my all my Persona 5 playthroughs overall, that's probably the fourth time I played. Oh, through. wow. <laughs> Because I, because uh, I played, I played through it the Japanese version. I played the the English original base version two times for the secret boss fight, and then this would be, I think, my fourth time I played Persona Five. And I was like, and all those, it's like I had to start and beat it within this month, or else I'm never gonna beat it. Well, I'm I'm sort of dangling Strikers as the carrot, you know, sort of like you can't play that until you beat Royal. So, um, yeah, this year will be the year I think that I beat it and move on to Strikers and see what. Um, well, how I feel about that one. But. I am uh, good luck. That's all I'm gonna say. It's uh, it's a it's dirty, but I think you can do it. I think you can do it. I'll keep you posted. One dozen so, a week. Knowing <laughs> that we have a butt ton of Pokemon to talk about, I'm gonna like quick fire through my other two. Uh, do it. G- 
Guilty Gear Strive. I missed last week's discussion on it, but holy crap, do I want that game? Oh uh, yeah, dude. So fun, just fix the lobbies, and I'm sure Josh went on about it last week because they are they are bad. They're bad lobbies, but <laughs> the game itself is magic, and I can't wait. Uh, just put Sin in it, please, because he'd be awesome. And I don't really like all of the rust so far. I probably like about a quarter, maybe, maybe a third. Get so, your uh, PS5 or PS4 hooked up through LAN, and we can play. Yes, yes, yeah, just... I will. That's, remind me, that's on the list. <laughs> yeah, so I'm going to take the opportunity to plug the Discord. It only, it only uh, happened once during the beta, but we had uh, some some people streaming some gameplay of Strive, and then George jumped in with his Wi-Fi connection and crashed the host. Hey, I really want to. Yeah, I really want to start making that somewhat of a normal thing in the in the Discord of like just opening it up for people, being able to like interact with us, have a good time. It was it was a great time playing GG. Oh, and and I'm not a fighting game player at all, but I was watching that game and just just enjoying the art and the animations and the arc systems works, just their whole stylings. It's it's a fun game just to spectate, even as a neophyte like me. It was it was enjoyable time. Uh, and the second game, which I'm almost sad to speed through, but because I've done one of my longest reviews on it that is now up on the site, uh, Steven Universe Unleashed the Light, I'm talking about, I feel like I can say, go read the review. That review's really long, really detailed, um, but my impressions are, it's the best Steven Universe game there's been. There's only been a few, but it is the best one. Uh, and I would honestly recommend it to anyone who's wanting like a Paper Mario sort of game, because it is that sort of gameplay. Uh, I was a bit concerned at first about how movement would go. I think I mentioned this before it came out. I'd be like, oh, it's a mobile port, so it's going to be a bit weird. But it works really well. Uh, and it's one of the only games I've played recently where I just could not take my eyes off the screen. I could just not stop playing. Every time I put it down, I was like, I'm going to go eat. And then, yeah, I want to go back and play Steven Universe. So I Now, really... were you kind of lukewarm going into this like two weeks ago? Uh, I was... I was cautiously optimistic because I didn't love the last game. Uh, and I say this in my review, but just because I love I love Steven Universe, just because of that, it doesn't get a free pass. Um, so I was I was going into it like, okay, this could be good, this could be bad. I really don't want to write off a negative thing on Steven Universe, but if I have to, I have to. And I, I just loved it. Um, it's just, it's a really competent RPG for how short it is. It's, it's about 12 hours long, I'd say. Uh, but you can do a lot with it. Like, all the characters have different moves that interact with each other. They finally fix the battle system, so... It, it's kind of hard to explain. I, ha I had to, like, really concentrate when I was writing it down how to explain the mechanics of it, but rest assured, you don't have to sit and wait for your meter to charge up now, which is what you had to do in the last game, and bored the tears out of me. It's now just well, like... Well, the last game was only mobile, right? And then this game is on the consoles? Or do I have that no. wrong? The last game was available on consoles, and then this oh, one okay. the only mobile, which is why I skipped it. Uh, I'm just I'm so glad they brought it to consoles because this is this is the best game, and I, I'm so happy that it turned out like it did. Was, uh, was, was the other game bad? Like the one no. that was on consoles? Is that not? Is this the best one? Out, obviously, you said it's the best one out of the two, but is the other one just not great? The other one is a different type of game. In, in a lot of respects, it focused more on exploration, which was really cool at the time because you could, you'd never had like an explorable beach city before, which is where Steve Universe is set. Um, but I feel like the trade-off there was that the, ex the exploring was really fun. It was a bit slow, but it, it was fun. But the combat was just... Okay, okay, I'll, I'll do a very quick explanation of why it wasn't great. 
basically, when you go into combat, you have a star meter, and on that star meter, every time you use a move, it takes away some of that meter. So say you've got you start off with five points in it, and then you use a move, and then it's down to two. And then obviously you can only use moves that are two. And if you can't use a move, you have to wait for that to refill. And in that time, enemies can attack you as you're waiting. And that doesn't sound too bad, but the meter takes ages to refill. So it's better to use items, but you don't get items very much. And so most of the time you're just sat there. You're literally just sat there watching enemies come and try and like slowly edge their way towards you. And then the attacks just don't do much damage at the start. And it's just it's just a slow process. And even though I I wanted to carry on with it. I was just, I was like, nah, it's just not worth it. Um, it's funny listening to this because I'm like, isn't this just ATB kind of? Yeah. 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 It is like ATB, but you can't do anything else. Like there's no, you can't change positions for characters. Like as soon as you get into that battle, they're all stuck where they are, which means that some of their moves can be completely like bugged. They just won't work like they're supposed to. Um, it's this, this it's such a difficult thing to describe. It, it's game where like, a game just doesn't feel good to play and like that that's it so i i, I would love to recommend save the light as well but i don't really whereas unleash the light i'm like yeah go for it if you love steven universe go for it if you want a good fun little rpg go for it i just i can't recommend it enough i'm glad that you were able to cover this for the site like something that you're legitimately passionate about and just one of those properties like you just have it to align with you know the objective and goals of the site that it's very yes. cool yeah, it isn't it about Steven Universe for the site? It's so niche. That's why I'm I'm happy to sort of speed through because I know there's like maybe two people in the world listening right now who are like, yes, Steven <laughs> Universe RPG for you two people. Go, go on, go play. Look, the only well, the only the only time I've ever like interacted with like Steven in the name of something is like even Steven's the show back in the day. That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes admittedly. with our site, since like. Uh, it, a lot of it, uh, admittedly, like the review, it's easy just to attribute it or RPG sites review or whatever. And like the writers can sometimes be a bit faceless, but like sometimes when a game like this is covered, it's because we got someone like George behind it who's really passionate about it. And that's why we got a review up in the first place. So I'm glad that we were able to highlight it here. Yeah, me too. Um, I, I know you already talked a lot about uh, Bravely Default, mm. Josh, but mm -hmm. was there anything else this week that you put time into? Um, no, I'll, t I'll talk about the other thing next week and I can uh, fully talk about it uh, and we can get into that. Uh, other than that, I all I can say is I've, I downloaded this Outriders demo. I intend to play it. I know it's a bit short, but I, I'm so curious about it. It's the next, um, it's the new game from People Can Fly. So, you know, the bullet storm people. And uh, I, I hear, I've heard good things about it. I'm very curious about it. I, I need to find the time to play it. So I've been playing it a little bit, so I can kind of hop in and give some impressions. Uh, Hello, James. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast. Kind of quiet. Been kind of quiet. Go ahead yeah. and talk about uh, Outriders. Um, so I haven't played too much. Uh, I played up through the tutorial basically and got started with the main game. Uh, first off, the visuals are very impressive. Uh, I've seen some people say that it has some performance issues. I haven't been having that, but granted, I just upgraded to a 3070. So if I wasn't having good performance, I, I would be worried. Um, the, the, neat, the neat thing about this demo before you uh, continue is that this is available through nearly all platforms except Switch. So there's like PS4, PS5, Xbox One, Xbox Series, uh, Epic Game Store, Steam, uh, and whatnot. And they're all cross-play with each other, even in this beta. So that's really cool that they're just offering that like from day one, that you don't have to wait for some cross-play update. It's all cross-play from the get-go. 
I will say that the um, demo's build is probably pretty old because there's a few little issues that I had that I've noticed that are already confirmed that they'll be fixed by the final release. And the reason why I'm sure it's an older build is that for like consoles, since this is crossplay, that means that they would have had to submit the demo over a month ago or something like that, which means that they had to, it, it's all being held back, I'm sure, by the console development for the demo. So the PC version is definitely months behind whatever build they have now. Uh, there's a 30 FPS cap in cutscenes, and what's considered a cutscene or not is kind of weird because there was like this um, scene where you're in the back of this truck as it's rushing through like this war zone that looks really good, except it's the frame rate rate wasn't so hot, but as soon as I got out of the truck in the same exact area, suddenly it jumped up to 100 plus FPS. So it's like it, clearly that was being like capped to 30 or something like that, and then. There's like some shaky cameras and some of the cutscenes. And long story short, they've already confirmed that that's going to be fixed by launch. It's going to be unlocked frame rate and cutscenes. There's going to be an option to disable motion blur without going into the INI file. Um, this game is being advertised with support for um, DLSS. I don't think it really, I'll really need it because I'm already getting consistently over 100 frames at 1440p. So it's like, whatever. But that's Why good get to know. Frames when you can get 200 frames. Exactly. But um, <laughs> yeah, uh, the gameplay is fairly basic, but it's the shooting feels good. The um, addition of abilities is pretty nice. Uh, in, uh, it, this game's uh, Outriders is like an action RPG shooter. And then you I was going to ask, can, is this an RPG? Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's an RPG. It's a third person shooter. And you have like the you can select one of four like RPG classes. Uh, early into the game like you have like this big hulking tank guy that can like summon like an earth spike out of the ground then there's this technomancer that can like deploy a turret it's like a bit more like uh tactical based and whatnot and i'm trying to think there's a pyro class or which kind of speaks for itself you can like throw fireballs or whatever at opponents and i think the like the last one's called trickster and that's like all about mobility i think yeah but um, yeah, uh, not too much to say because again, I only played a bit. I basically played until I got a heart crash, which uh, apparently the, uh, I'm not the only one that's been having that issue. So hopefully it, the bugs were ironed out by the release. Uh, I'm not sure if it's going to be on Game Pass or anything. Probably not. But um, well, actually, is it? Uh, I don't, was I it don't in, know. I'm not sure uh, exactly. I, I don't think so. But the, I don't know. I don't know. Is is the demo like the early part of the game? Yeah, it's like the first to the full it's game like, or it's like, like yeah, yeah. So this is the like the opening chapter, like the prologue and like, maybe chapter one. I forgot the scope of the demo, but they did uh, the you have access to chapter one of the story, and then you have access to the first region and like four side quests. Okay. And then they did confirm that they, your save data from the demo will can transfer over. To the full game but it's like a platform to platform thing so you can't have you can't have like the steam a steam save file transfer over to the epic game store well it's all the game's out on steam why would you buy it on epic <laughs> i mean for people who won't use it then you know or like yeah. it's also gonna be out on stadia on, on release day as well um i don't know if you can do like a ps4 save file into the ps5 version of the game i don't know about that either yeah uh, I will say that the loading times were pretty good for what I saw, but as I was saying before the podcast, I 
got a new SSD, so maybe that has to do with it. Um, really, not much else to say. It seems promising as long as the bugs are like sorted out. I, I'll definitely try it out. Yeah, I want to try this demo out and see how it runs on my 970. And if that, if that goes well, maybe I'll get a PC. If not, I can just get it the PS5 version since it's crossplay. So it's nice, you know, when a dev like really commits to just having crossplay all across the board. You don't have to worry about like, oh man, can I party up with my friends or not? Um, so one of these days, <laughs> hopefully, more uh, more people adopt that mindset like this game. Yep. Have you been playing anything else this week, uh, James? Um, so it's funny. Since I did get that new GPU, I was like, why would I play Control on PS5 when I can play the Game Pass version on PC with uh, ray tracing? So I, I, uh, oh, I forgot it was on Game Pass. So I uh, basically started over on Game Pass, and uh, I played a little bit beyond where I got on PS5, so about like two or three hours. And... That was basically it because I ran into crashing issues that apparently is a known issue with the Game Pass version. So uh, mm, I was actually going to ask, like, how has been your Game Pass experience? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> how um, your- this is crashing? Control is crashing. <laughs> has your experience um, with, um, um, with, with the Game Pass version with ray tracing like has that like transformed like you know your your playtime with it or like how, do you think more highly of the game with, with the way it implements ray tracing? I mean, it looks. Fantastic, obviously. And DLSS, this is like my first ch- chance being able to actually see it in motion. I did play a little bit of Death Stranding, like 30 minutes with DLSS enabled. And I'd say it it definitely looks, looks very good. Um, for stuff like hair, if you look closely, you can definitely see some like visual artifacts. But for the most part, it's like a no-brainer to have it enabled, if you're going, especially if you're playing something with ray tracing. Because it's really not a huge visual impact. And the performance impact, though, is very, very huge. So mm-hmm. definitely a game changer in that regard. Because, like, I mean, like, 1440p DLSS, I'm over 100 FPS with rate, literally everything maxed. And it's very impressive when it's not crashing. Um, yeah, I will say, though, that it has uh, given me some uh, other, well, some different perspective on the PS5 version. I would say that even though like Digital Foundry went over like the uh differences in the uh graphic settings like like the light for PC and PS5, PS5 version is still very good. I don't think you're really missing out on too much if you play it on PS5. In fact, like it does have dual sense implementation with the triggers and the uh haptic uh, feedback. So it's still a very good version of the game. And if you don't have a RTX capable uh, graphics card, it's still definitely worth playing. See, I I liked Control. I've actually downloaded the PS5 version. I've like, I've jumped in for the first about half an hour, and it definitely it definitely runs better than the PS4 Pro version, uh, which doesn't need to be said. But it is. It does change the game a lot. But I I've, I never saw the sort of like game of the year cries for Control. I, I think it's good. I think sometimes it could be great, but I think overall, I don't know. There, there were a lot better games that year to choose. I think um, Re- Remedy is always known for like narrative, though, and I think I mean I'm similar to James. I'm sort of, I'm I think I'm probably like two three hours in something like that, and then sort of parked it for everything else I have to do. Um, so maybe like Persona this year, I'll try and tick that one off as well and play it through. But I imagine it's a narrative thing, um, much like saying like Last Last of Us, which I know you're you're big on. 
I think Last of Us and you know all the stuff that Naughty Dog does is very sort of impactful from a story perspective. And I That's wonder cool. whether with Control, I mean, the, the gameplay seems quite cool with what they're trying to do, but I wonder if maybe it's a story thing as well. Well, actually, uh, I can maybe speak to this because I have not played Control. I've not played any Remedy game. So, like, here is my impression of the game, having not played it or really been interested in it, is that it, it feels like this is it's like a hard sell. It's it's when I think of something like God of War 2018, like, oh, I know exactly what this is. It's mythical. It's, an, you know, this giant adventure. The character is really compelling. Like, I know kind of like the, the like and that's another game I haven't played. But then Control, I'm like, all right, I'm playing as a character. I don't remember her name. Uh, it's kind of like a third-person shooter set in an office building, but there's magic powers and like bullet time. I guess like it's just, it just seems like it's a bit impenetrable. It doesn't have that immediate splash in the marketing. So maybe that's a bit superficial. I mean, actually, honestly, it probably really is superficial because like what I just said has nothing to do with like the quality of the game or how it's made or how compelling it is. Immediately sell it. So the only game that I've really had chance to play this week was continuing with the Project Triangle demo. I've just been busy with work and life stuff, uh, other than my time with Persona 5 Strikers. And I think when Josh and I were talking about this game last week, we actually stated like we should try to play through it a second time because it seems like it could be quite different. And it turns out it, it, it is. So uh, I wrote up a little feature that I wasn't really planning to for the demo. But I felt strongly enough about my time with it that I decided I, I really wanted to like put my words down. Um, so the, the demo is two chapters where you make a major choice in between the two. And it's the same choice that they kind of showed off in the trailer at the Nintendo Direct two weeks ago about whether or not you shelter the prince or not. And whenever a game comes out of the gate with the marketing, like we have choices and consequences, it's become so boilerplate now that I find myself a bit like I'm sneering at it. Like, oh, really? This again? Like, every game has this nowadays, if you listen to the marketing. But when I played through Project Triangle demo twice, I made the other choices in, like, every case that I could. And in the second half of the demo, you end up with a different context. The battle takes place in a different location with different, like, battle gimmicks. And you've got different party members. And the enemy unit is, like, a different boss. It's basically like a, a true, complete like Y fork in the story, and I think the demo was probably probably deliberately picked to show that. So now I'm like, all right, you know, they come out of the gate, they say this is going to be a game highly dependent on the choices you make, and the demo is really doing its best to sell that. So I found myself impressed. Uh, I really think that if you've played the demo once, you really should consider playing through it twice with the other choice. Uh, I do feel that strongly about it. So that's, you know, it only took a couple hours, but that's, it was something that I, uh, was, I'm I'm really eager to see this game land next year because it really does seem quite up my alley. Yeah, I need to try that other um, choice uh, because I haven't done that yet. Uh, hopefully I'll get around to it soon. But that, that sounds really cool. And I really wonder, obviously, I, uh, you know, the demo ends when when you can actually see before you could actually see any of like the ripples it would cause through that. But I wonder what is the scope of that? And I really hope that it's the, like the consequences that you've made, it ripples meaningfully throughout the rest of the game through that. I don't, I don't want just like a wife fork that just closes back on like a very similar right. It all, it all gets tied up at the end. Uh, only like, yeah. Yeah. So hopefully it like really fans out. Uh, 
it's obviously, you know, the demo is limited in what it can show, but in the limited scope of that, I think it does a good job. Uh, this also is telling me that, that I really need to play a Tactics Ogre, because apparently this game is you borrowing sure, a ton from that. Uh, Definitely uh, play, play Let Us Look Clean together on PSP some way you, <laughs> you'll love it you'll love it no I, I know i will or would but man i don't have a psp there, there's a reason that's like what, what did adam say your brother he said that was the, his favorite game ever that is i don't know if it's his favorite game but uh, it's easily in his top 10 or possibly top five but yeah this uh the only real complaints that i had about the demo and these are well worn that i think anyone that's played it has has voice so these aren't like enlightening but the voice acting is not good and i usually have a tolerant a high tolerance for voice acting as long as like the story is compelling like even if the voice acting is average i'm fine with it but it's just it's less than average it's just not good um and then i think the graphical style is a bit muddy like you've got these nice good sprite work and the, the spell animations are awesome but then they just this is the same thing octopath traveler had where it like vignettes the corners as if you're like watching like through like a film reel or something and then like it has this depth of field effect where it blurs like what's happening in the back of the room and i'm like i'm in a single room does it like this why is it blurred to such an extent i know like blurring effects can look nice when implemented in like uh is it unreal is it's it unreal, unreal 4, 4. yeah like yeah. the depth of I mean, field that, effects can look good like with games that have like long uh line of sight and and like long draw distance and stuff in the way way distance is blurred a bit like that can look really nice but when i'm like an isometric view of a room of characters talking and like the back window is blurred i'm like really <laughs> like just because you have yeah. this in your tool set doesn't mean you need to be implementing it right here right now in the way that you I, like. I really appreciated that brevity default too just lets you turn that off it's like hey you want the yeah. depth of fields like Nah, it's like okay. It's like okay, great. <laughs> it's, it's what I hate about Octopath Traveler. Like, I think I can't remember which character it is. Maybe the I can't remember the classes or the character now. The but there's uh, one character like from a, in a church starts off in a church. Okay, yeah, yeah. The, 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 the and then you leave church it, girl. You, yeah, and you leave it. And you can climb all the way up this uh, sort of like hill or mountain. Mm -hmm. or I know exactly what you're talking and, about. And I was like, oh, this is gonna be a really great screenshot moment. And then like you get up to the top, and then the whole thing's just like. Uh, yeah. Even, or whatever, and I was like, "Really?" Octopath has like a way to like lessen the effect, but not get rid of it, which is really frustrating. Because obviously, they were like leaning towards like maybe we should get rid of this, and then only went halfway, and it's nowhere near how you wanted it to be. It's just bizarre. I, I just it's such a great looking game, and obviously that experience is carried across to Project Triangle Strategy. I mean, we're going to run the competition. What the final name is that? Triangle I really thing. hope it's just a triangle and strategy. Then, and then triangle is like each letter in triangle is a, char a character name or something. Um, but <laughs> I don't know. Um, but uh, I, I wish they had a more appealing project name for it. Uh, triangle wonder... strategy is just. I, I wanted to be triangle so, strategy. <laughs> so I, I haven't got around to trying the demo yet. I've downloaded it. So strategy obviously is a very obvious. Uh, word to choose, but triangle is that any relevance to anything? Is there a weapon? Yeah, triangle? The, the, the kingdoms. There a... Yeah, there's the... there's three kingdoms and they're shaped like the triangle. On the <laughs> and then like within I one, within, and within one of the kingdoms, there's three houses. So it like fractals in that way or, or whatever. <laughs> there's a uh, there's a lot of triangle strategies going on in that demo. If only it took place in no. a triangle grid. Let's make that work. No, <laughs> that sounds like it'd be awful. <laughs> Fuck. Now I'm just thinking, fire in the three houses now. Uh, mm -hmm. 
that's uh, the that's the expansion. I, that, that's I, a rumored expansion of Fire Emblem Triangle Strategy. Well, I saw, I saw like some people the making the uh, comparison to Three Houses, but outside of the fact that there's three major players, like it seems like the protagonist like centers around one of them in terms of like it's not like you're picking which house to play as or which kingdom to play as. He's in the middle of the triangle strategy. Yes. Or she. I love triangle. But yeah, it's a, it's a good demo uh, and it's worth playing through twice. Uh, obviously, if you didn't enjoy the first playthrough, I'm not telling you, you must play it again. But if you enjoyed it, I think you'll enjoy it more if you play it again. How, how long was it? Like, uh, play through? Oh, this is a lengthy demo. It's like maybe two, three hours. Well, like if you wow. like if you make a save point before the branching path and then you just make the other decision there, you can save yourself some time. But yeah, it's it was for me. It was like two hours per playthrough. It's like four hours total. Okay, still quite generous though, considering it's you know early in development. Yeah, like yeah. it's it's, it's a year away or so, so it's pretty early on to have a nice vertical slice for it. I also wonder if this is coming to PC as well because Octopath eventually made it there. Yeah, yeah. I imagine there'll be like a period of Twitch exclusivity, and then um, you'll be able to turn the depth of field off on a PC <laughs> six months later or something. Force it on, or maybe it'll move. I forgot that Octopath come to Stadia or or Amazon Lumina Luna. I think it came to one of those services too. Uh, yes, it is on Stadia. There you go. Oh wow! <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember. I don't know why I remember that. I was like, that's just so, such a weird thing. If you I'm if you played Octopath Traveler on Stadia, nowhere else. I want to hear your comments, please. Oh man. You know the uh, the engine that is, say HD two D or whatever they call it. Mm-hmm. Um, Isn't it just like on Unreal Engine like four or something? Yeah, but the, the art direction of it or, or whatever it's classified as. Like, would you like them to use that for any other sort of I don't know remake of something? I feel like people either hate or love the uh, art style. I think it would look great with Final Fantasy VI's aesthetics. Yeah, I would. I would that, yeah, early that's... Final Fantasy like re- remakes with that art style, I'd I'd take it for sure. I think specifically it would work really well with six because of it's weird talking about like aesthetics for specific games, but like for like Final Fantasy five, I wouldn't want it, but for six, I feel like because of how it has a more like uh, grizzled or dark aesthetic, I think that the way that like Octopath looks. In the way that the engine works, I think it would look better for six, say, than like five. I, I'd agree. Six definitely has that 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 terrain variety that would, in our heads, transition very well. I wonder. If, I wonder if it would work in like an actiony type game, like a Star Ocean one or two, or a Tales of Fantasia sort of thing. Maybe I don't know. I think hmm, maybe I don't know. I, I do think it probably would work best with turn based. Yeah, I agree. With there, you. there is. Yeah, there is like a like, kind of like a, a weird experimental thought of like you remember how early Tales games had that um, left to right battle system in a horizontal field, like yeah, that's what I was thinking like of specifically. Yeah, yeah, I just because obviously they're using it for for new games, but I just wondered like I thought there must be an audience for you know an older game coming back, but in a you know an HD. Well, I mean, you know, you know the. I mean, not the real reason, but the, the 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 real thing we're trying to get at it is like it's not even HD two D. Someone like resurrect that three D dot game heroes effect. Like, oh, I love that game. Yeah, it's awesome. Well, someone uh, needs uh, other similar games that are not quite under the same banner because it's not the same marketing team, whatever. But the Aiden Chronicles is pretty much HD two D. 
Um, and then uh, the Sea of Stars uh, indie game oh. is similar to. Mm-hmm. So I think there's definitely a space for that classically styled 16-bit. I'm using air quotes there because it's not really 16-bit, but it's emulating the style uh, sorts of games. All right, so I think we've gone through all five of us to talk about what we've been playing. Uh, so here we are, 90 minutes in or so, a little less than that. And we'll finally move into what I kind of talked about at the at the header of this, and that's a whole bunch of stuff, ranging from Final Fantasy to Nintendo to uh, troubled game development. Uh, as to the namesake of our site, I think we're going to start with Final Fantasy VII Remake Intergrade. What a mouthful. So obviously, uh, a couple days ago, earlier this week, we had a Sony state of play hot in the heels of Nintendo Direct. So it feels like, in some respect, back to normalcy. And the state of play, I feel like uh, a lot of people were kind of disappointed in it. It was a lot of games we had seen before, even though I do think that Kena Bridge of Spirits still looks really good. Um, Even though I've never played it, I thought that Five Nights at Freddy's uh, Security Breach trailer was like, I kind of dig the style of that game, or at least what it's trying to sell from an outside perspective. But then, of course, the the big you know climax at the end was this announcement of Final Fantasy VII Remake coming to PS5 with graphics. <laughs> and the graphics on PlayStation 5! <laughs> yes! <laughs> and then, of course, graphics, finally. And, yep. and then also, of course, uh, a surprise that I don't think anyone was expecting, a new Yuffie-based DLC episode of some sort that is exclusive to the PlayStation 5 version of the game. I think some people were expecting Xbox announcement or PC Epic Game Store announcement. No, none of that. It is coming out for PlayStation 5 on June 10th. So, you know, there's a rumor for an Xbox event in March and the exclusivity for like Final Fantasy 7 Remake ends after April. So, I don't think it's necessarily impossible that we just get the other next gen announced like versions announced later, but still before the June tenth date. Maybe that's definitely possible. I, I guess I, I, an important note to hear is that PS4 purchases of Final Fantasy VII Remake will get upgraded for free to Intergrade, but the UFI part is separate, uh, a separate purchase, I believe. Yeah, it is. Yes. Uh, thing to add to that, um, because um, Final Fantasy VII Remake is going to be the PS4 PlayStation Plus game next month, that version does not get the free upgrade. Right. You have to own the game in order to get the upgrade. And obviously, um, people who bought a physical disc of FF7 Remake but have a digital PS5 can, won't be able to upgrade because they need to have the disc inserted into the console to play the upgrade already so you need to have like a, a ps5 with a disk drive for sure if you're going that route but other than that i mean they 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 come out you know big with this a lot of visual enhancements uh, a lot of you know very atmospheric lighting uh, obviously they have a performance mode to 60 fps which will probably run very nicely and look really nice on uh, for that game they have a, a graphics mode that supports up to 4k and as yeah, the I typical like earlier, the a, photo, a photo mode option. And the Yuffie thing's a bit weird because I saw some people saying, like, well, in the original Final Fantasy VII, Yuffie isn't around this early. But of course, you know, that's all kind of out the window at this point. Um, 
people are saying, well, Red 13 is- was so close to being playable that we're still having to wait on him, I guess. Yeah. Uh, yes, I suppose is the answer there. Uh, but obviously, the Final Fantasy VII remake did have a little bit more of an emphasis on the war with Wu Tai that was present in the original game, but kind of a backseat to everything else. So obviously, that's the where Yuffie hails from. So the fact that she's going to have a story present so early is it going to go deeper into that sort of thing, like the stuff that was sort of touched on to like Chapter Four of Final Fantasy VII remake. So. This- this is very promising on that because they're setting up like a narrative relevance for Yuffie early on. Because yeah. in, obviously in the original FF7 game, she was an optional character. And so she had very limited interaction with the story and the party. She'll have like maybe a, like a one-liner here and there, but she had very little relevance because she was optional and she couldn't they couldn't account for that. It's it's the unfortunate part about being an optional character. Like you think about Yakuza like a dragon. And the optional character there, she's not present in any of the cutscenes right. once she joins the party. I do wonder how big this uh, new content is going to be because we see like one boss in the footage. And well, I'm, yeah, unfortunately, the precedent it? is uh, for Final Fantasy 15. It had these character-specific episodes too, and I don't think any of them were that well received, and they were usually like a few hours. Yeah, their mm-hmm. legacy was mostly for their like soundtracks. Like I remember Keiichi Okabe, who's most famous for his like doing Nier. He had a he did like the OST for uh, the Gladio episode, I believe, and that was really good. I don't know how to pronounce his name if it's Ardine Arden, but I know that oh, the last yeah. DLC they did had actually a pretty good reception. Not sure if that was because they knew they weren't going to have any of the ever DLC and they wanted to go out for bang or what, but I, I do know that people liked that DLC for fun, 15. Fun little fact, uh, the episode Arden Review is the first thing I ever did for RPG site. Oh, yeah? So, yeah, I, I can agree with you. That was, that was probably one of the better uh, ones. Uh, I, still, I still didn't like it. Yeah. It was the least bad, maybe. I didn't like, bad. <laughs> I didn't like <laughs> running the over the, like, oh, the city. Is it in Altissa? I don't remember. Uh, but Yeah, I think so. Or, yeah, I hated that part. And, and like, I don't, I don't like running around the city and like you, like you, like do like these weird like uh, capture point type things, if I remember right. And then you end up like going to these shopkeepers and like buying new hats or something. Like, it's just, yes. Uh, I didn't like so that. Much fun. But I, I, what they've and shown here, looks, canon. yes, it all, it's all canon. Uh, what they've shown here is, um, I think, a, a little bit better. But obviously, it's a trailer. It's marketing. So how reflective of it of the actual content lot to see one thing that is kind of interesting is that in final fantasy 7 remake obviously you play as cloud whenever you're not in battle but when you're in battle you can switch to any of the party members though the way they're describing this here is that it seems like you play as yuffie and then the new character that she's partnered with who is sonan it seems like it's not it's not confirmed confirmed and there's a little bit of wiggle room in the way it's stated but it seems like that he is basically a um, a second part to like combo attacks and things like that, where you'll have to like set up different attacks that utilize his positioning and skill set and things like that. Uh, at least yeah, the way, way they I'm visualize this in the trailer. Yeah, the way they visualize this in the trailer is this new character Sonon has his main weapon is like a bow staff, and like part of Yuffie's move set for one of her skills is like hopping on that bow staff and he'll launch Yuffie like somewhere so she can like attack from the air or something and whatnot it looks very versatile very fast very agile you know uh in yuffie like fashion but i did like and a lot of people are like i don't know man 
but there are a lot of nods to Dirge of Cerberus yep. with this UP reveal. Like she heard her in her Moogle costume is a callback to Dirge of Cerberus and her presence there. And in one of the very fast snapshots of this trailer was there's this guy who has like crazy long spiky white hair, and that's Weiss. I have from Dirge of Cerberus. But I had like scrapped that guy from my memory. I'm like, who the hell is this? Oh, apparently I played this game where this guy was the antagonist. I don't remember. A yeah. Little. Oh God. Yeah, he's like the leader of Deep Underground, and that's like you know a very super elite underground society uh, band that was like fleshed out. In it, it's like it's like a it's like the crappiest version of like sequel shit, where it's like this is the yeah. top tier soldier units that were never relevant until the sequel. Now it's like why weren't these guys like relevant in the original game if they were like so powerful and top tier and secretive? But <laughs> whatever. But yeah, they're they're you think- in the trailer. <laughs> Here. Say that again. Do you think we'll see Vincent at all at this Yuffie DLC uh, thing, or allude to him whatsoever? Maybe like as like the sequel tease at the end. Like you'll see like Ooh. you'll see like a red cape or like a coffin opening <laughs> <laughs> or something. I don't know. It's like yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> there'll be, there'll be, there'll cool. be a flashback with a. Oh wait, is that a Final Fantasy VII spoiler? I won't say that. This game is so weird to talk about. <laughs> like I like so. Okay, I guess that kind of segues. We'll probably talk about these projects in parallel, but obviously that wasn't the only Final Fantasy VII announced project uh, from this state of play. I almost said direct. This was weird. Yeah, this was weird because they weren't in the state of play presentation. They came out and just like, oh yeah, that's a good the- point. Yeah, they were followed yeah. up. Just yeah. so the one I want to talk about is Final Fantasy VII Ever Crisis, which what this is is a mobile game. Is Final Fantasy VII Ever Crisis? Let's see. Yes. All right. Yeah. Yeah. And. Yeah. And what this is is that this is a mobile game coming out next year, so it's slated for 2022. That is a single-player chapter-structured game that covers the whole Final Fantasy VII timeline, including compilation. So the fact that we're already seizing, seeing teases of like Dirge of Cerebus, uh, and then there's other stuff that this game could cover about like before Crisis, which is like the prequel that I don't think any of us in the U.S. played, or at least not easily. Uh, so this is something where it's like. If this game is going to cover the events of the original game, the remake, the compilations, and it's be like, it's going to be like you know dropped in in chapters. It's it to me. It's interesting because all right, is it going to go through the events of the whole original game or only up through what say remake part two gets to cover and then skip ahead into compilation titles, or is it going to cover like Final Fantasy VII OG and then Final Fantasy VII remake, and then at that point do you start assuming? that you have to have the knowledge base of what happened in the OG and what happens in remake. It's just, it's a weird thing. Like when you're designing whatever remake part two is, what expectation do you have of the player for what they are aware of, which is already tricky in the first part, but now it's, I feel like it's muddied even more. Yeah, this is. Uh, I'm just, I'm just going to say this as a possible nightmare scenario that I'm going, that I'm sure as soon as I mention it, George is going to go insane. Yes. What if the, um, like, events in the mobile game in uh, um, Ever Crisis end up becoming critical knowledge for the console Final Fantasy 7 remake. 10,000%. Like, like akin to Kingdom Hearts. This is definitely uh, going to happen. There, there's no reason they wouldn't do, do this. <laughs> Namora! <laughs> yeah, okay, so let, let's, uh, let's kind of step back. Ever Crisis, like, you know, you mentioned it's up for mobile, but the, the, the screenshots and the footage that they released of it... Um, First off, the visuals are very uh, similar to Pocket charming. Edition. Yeah, they're charming. They're they're 
much more. I, I wouldn't even necessarily say population. Been, I feel like that's an insult. It, 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 to, it uh, is a bit. Yeah, you're right. It is a bit of an insult. Uh, uh, Pocket Edition wasn't, you know, had, didn't have the greatest visuals. This is much more. What would people uh, think is a more "quote unquote" faithful uh, adaptation of the original visuals to like a, a more modernized style? So they're they're still kind of like chibi and kind of like polygonal, but uh, more refined. It, 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 look, it looks pretty nice, in my opinion. Yeah, it looks dope. I actually really like it. Uh, I'll say from the little we've seen of what the battle system is, it definitely looks a bit simplified, but there's still like. I'm just curious if this, if this is going to be a freemium game, if you have to pay for it. Because if this is, is a like purchase, you just buy it um, sort of deal, I'd be down to play it. It seems like it'll be neat. Yeah, it, feel, it feels like we have, they haven't announced anything yet, but it, it sounds like they're going to go with the pocket edition model of like you pay for like additional episodes or content in it. It's not like a gotcha thing or anything like that. Um, that that's what I think uh, with the way they've worded it. And like you said, the battle system looks similar-ish to what they've done in Remake, but uh, in a much more condensed form. So it's, it does have, like, the ATB gauge and you still, like, take... Um, I'm not sure if it's, like, turn-based or actual, or it's still action, real-time action and whatnot. It's hard to tell at the moment. I think if... Well, I, I'm going to bet money that if they're going with a more faithful art style, they're probably going to go with a more faithful uh, battle system. Yeah, the interesting thing about this is that the character portraits look like they're from the Etrian Odyssey character designer. I'm not sure if they've confirmed that, but it looks very similar. Oh fuck yeah! Yeah, right. it looks very similar to that. So here's something I want to bring up, and I want I want I want you to chew on this for a bit. So at the end of the Ever Crisis trailer, the logos that it shows are Final Fantasy VII, the original, Before Crisis, which is like the mobile game pre uh, prequel, Crisis Core, the PSP prequel, Dirge of Cerebus, which obviously we've already seen in uh, the trailer for the PS5 version of remake. And then Advent Children. So it's going to go through the events of that, which is like, I think... Kadaj lives! Yeah. <laughs> but one thing interesting is that it doesn't say specifically, like, it doesn't show the logo of Final Fantasy VII Remake. So I'm wondering, like, is it going to go through how the story was printed in the original game or the remake or both? I guess maybe this is a thing question I was asking I, earlier, but man, what a, what a soup to have to try to... I mean, out. I guess this is... well. They basically spoiled the twist with the uh, trailer for the PS5 version. So I think it's safe to say that Remake isn't just a remake. So I think the, the existence of Ever Crisis is to give people the Final Fantasy VII like, anthology knowledge that they need for Remake. Very good. <laughs> so I think it's going to follow the original plot. Yeah, this is, That's my Yeah, this is, their, this is their solution of like, we don't want to like re-release Crisis Core and Dirge of Cerberus as they were, so we're going to give you this, and, and hopefully it works out. I don't know. This is this is such a, like, a weird and somewhat exciting thing to like just see how they recontextualize and how what the scope of this thing is. And this is the, a neat thing about this is this is developed by Applebot, and for people who don't know uh, Applebot, they've had us, like, they've just recently uh, released Near Reincarnation in Japan for Square Enix and same developers. So they've had a very, very close ties at Square Enix for some time. And before that, you know, they worked on another game called Blade X Lord, which is, you know, not, not really a great game. It looks really nice, but. It's just fascinating yeah. seeing um, Square Enix go all in still on like AAA mobile development. It's like, I know people obviously 
aren't huge fans of mobile games, but for stuff like our Ever Crisis, I think it has the potential to be like a really good choice well, for like, it. I, now, yeah, hopefully, it also moment, gets yeah. the Pocket Edition like deal where it gets ported to Switch because I feel like that would actually be really cool. Pocket Edition and Episode what? Arden died, so uh, Yuffie DLC and Ever Crisis could live <laughs> or something. <laughs> but like one thing you said earlier, I was like, this is giving you the anthology knowledge that you need. Like, I am not interested in finding a PS2 or emulating dirge service again. I'm not. But if you told me like, okay, I could refresh my knowledge of what the heck happened to that game because I like emptied it from my brain through this game, like sure, why not? I'll do that. That is not an excuse. So here's a question. And this is definitely way out there, but if it's faithful remakes of um, the original game, Maybe it'll still be a third-person shooter for the Dirge of Cerberus stuff. <laughs> I would laugh my ass off if that happened. I, I really wonder, like, uh, the scope of like how quote-unquote faithful this is, because this is a way for them to like integrate like things that happened in before Crisis, Crisis Core, and Dirge of Cerberus into like the main Advent children narrative to make it and Advent Children to make it like stick together a bit more, you know, elegantly. It's it's really, yeah yeah it's kind of crazy that we it's gonna be we, fascinating. We, we're, yeah. we're more like tied down on this ever crisis thing than we are on the PS5 version. Maybe it's because just like a, a Yuffie chapter, which I think we're all trying to rein in our expectations a bit. It'll probably be a handful of hours, you know, maybe maybe more than that if we're lucky. If it ends up being more substantial than we're than we're thinking, then of course that's a, that's all just gravy at that point. But ever crisis and what a what, that's a that's an undertaking right there. We're going to live for FF7 for the rest of our life at this point. <laughs> Apparently. Yep. So uh, there, was a, there was one other project that was announced tied to Final Fantasy VII, and that is Final Fantasy VII The First Soldier, which is another mobile-based project, a Battle Royale game coming this year. So what do we think about this thing? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think. That's what I think. Oh, man, this is... This is a really, really funny um, announcement because the way they framed that trailer is like Final Fantasy VII Battle Royale. <laughs> like that was the pause. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, uh, okay, sure. I just don't know what uh, I, I just obviously... don't know what to think of when I see like a third-person shooter perspective of, of what I assume is like a nameless soldier, like up in the rafters of this of the uh, of the church with the flower bed. I forget which sector that is. Um, I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> like, why are we here? Like, why? Why is there a shootout happening in this place? Because that's where we're dropping, man. <laughs> yeah, why, that, why is any of this happening? <laughs> uh, we could go. You could, we could drop at Sector Three, where everyone's gonna be at, or this Chocobo Ranch. <laughs> very, very weird uh, week for battle royale announcements. Yes, considering like between this and that, like weird dodgeball battle royale game, they're actually. Does look kind of neat, but not RPG. So yeah, the the interface for this is obviously it's it's very it's ridging on or curve you know running on on PUBG Mobile. Like you have the compass up ahead, and the the UI is very similar to PUBG Mobile. Obviously, the if you're gonna like style a mobile battle royale, it's gonna be on PUBG Mobile because that's very very successful out there in the East, uh, all throughout Asia. And whatnot. I like how the tagline so, at the end of this trailer is, can you become history's first soldier? 
like capital soldier from the series <laughs> is that the whole conceit of this game is that these are all the people who failed to become soldiers or something pretty much that that's the that, i mean that's the story reason it sounds like oh yeah right? i guess i guess that, it's like we're gonna... 30 years before the events of Final Fantasy Seven. so this is like the start yeah. of the soldier project and we're all the um so... i do love go ahead george yeah there's all that speculation it was like oh maybe it means Sephiroth. maybe it means Zach. Oh, yeah. it's like back, no it means yeah, back back with the uh with the trademarks are filed no it means you we were all the first <laughs> soldier that's right you have your your guns you have your sword you have your magic spells here i i that's probably gonna be like the weirdest uh, how it distinguishes itself uh in the battle royale space but the the really the really exciting part is some months back pubg mobile had a collaboration with gact I shit you not. They had a collaboration with Gak. So we, there's a possibility of us coming full circle and this FF7 first soldier thing collaborates with Gak. There and we go. Genesis. Genesis is the final boss of the first yes. soldier. And then, yes! And then he wins and becomes the first soldier and you lose. I don't know. <laughs> All right, I'm on board. FF7 is good again. Uh, one final bit of Final Fantasy VII news. Uh, this came out of a Famitsu interview that was published pretty much right alongside the state of play or right after. And that is that Tetsuya Nomura, obviously like the director of Final Fantasy VII Remake, will not be directly helming whatever the next installment is. He is going to step back into a creative director role for the whole new anthology, whatever you call it, the compilation part two. And then instead... Uh, Naoki Hamaguchi will be the director of Remake Part 2. So I don't think this is a major change. Obviously, it's kind of like a a bright headline, but uh, Hamaguchi was already like co-director of Remake. The interesting part here, George, is that Nomura says, George, that he has a lot of projects <laughs> underway. So that's why he has to like let, license like, his load a bit. So he specifically uh, <laughs> mentioned he has an unprecedented, unprecedented amount of titles he's working on. Like, there's the most he's ever worked on in the, right now. I, I think I asked this in the staff chat after this news broke. Like, besides Kingdom Hearts, obviously, yeah, yeah, yeah Kingdom Hearts. What is he working? He's working on, on been uh, said, like, versus Eudora, something Kingdom he, Hearts he, spinoff. So, like, yeah, he's, he's creative director on the whole F7 thing. So, you, you assume he's also has a hand in First Soldier. He has a hand in Ever, Ever Crisis as, as an overhead, and wh- however many Kingdom Hearts projects there are, and who knows what else, but you know, the, I mean, they have for him. Like, I, I've been saying it since FF15. Like, he he takes on way too much, and then you you saw. I, I don't know whether it's directly Nomura's relationship with that, but that game was damaged when it was back as versus 13 but i don't know uh, if, if he's putting more into kingdom hearts if he's focusing more on that great i i don't think final fantasy needs him per se uh, and i think kingdom hearts it's an, i think it you know does that uh, make sense it, it yeah it makes sense because you think about it like his involvement with remake uh was a lot about like setting the foundation you know if you have all like the pillars in place now of like where they want to take it to go like, does it make sense for him to always, like, be at the helm when he has so many other things going on? And I think, you know, like, part of Remake's success wasn't just Nomura. This was a collaborative effort between him, between Hamaguchi, between all the art designers, between all the battle system people. Like, all, every every single part of Remake, you know, it was all in the efforts of the, this creative team. Any other final thoughts on Final Fantasy VII Remake Intergrade or Ever Crisis or The First Soldier? 
We're all playing I that wish. battle royale game, right? You're, you're all with me, right? <laughs> Where Swans we here, right? Exactly. Uh, it looks. It looks like it. I don't know. It presents itself pretty well. I could see myself having like a few hours of just dumb fun with it. I don't know. Watch it be like story critical, though. <laughs> You've got to see the ending, or else remake part two doesn't make sense. I guess one final thought that like I was thinking about when looking at Ever Crisis was I wonder if they, if any staff members of the Opera Omnia team had a hand in it because the character models look a lot like in Opera Omnia, and that's like that's a good thing. Like Opera Omnia looks really nice. It just feels weird looking at all this new Final Fantasy VII remake stuff drop, and I just get the distinct impression that, for example, like Final Fantasy XV had the whole cross media, a bunch of different stuff that like hit all at once and it feels like with seven remake they were cautious to see how the first part did before going all in and now that it was a success they're like ah shit time to get going so now here's everything at once i'm not sure if you guys are getting the same impression but that's like what sticks out to me yeah i definitely i definitely see that i can feel that yeah they're kind of more ramping up what their ambitions are rather than setting it sky high out the gate and then failing to reach it it's smart, yeah. you know. I'd, I'd rather have it the, like this, other the, rather than the 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 forceful. You don't want to watch that. You don't want to. You don't want to have to watch a movie in order for the first half of the or flagship game to make any sense. <laughs> I still never watched that movie, man. I was like, I can't do it. <laughs> I, I watch it, it, but I I even forget like. I feel TV like you pull from it. Uh, didn't they initially? Well, finally add like uh, sections of that movie into the game where it was actually like story critical. <laughs> I, I yeah. Think so. That sounds familiar. The best part about the children was um, it being parodied in a Super Smash Bros. trailer. Mario's dead. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, yeah, that, that was actually amazing. It was like, the, out of all the FF7 references you can make for a trailer, you chose Advent Children. <laughs> That's a power move. So the day after the state of play, uh, we just... I believe it was the day after. We just kept steamrolling right through RPG announcements and changing gears quite a bit with a new Pokemon Presents Hooray. Direct of sort. Pokemon Presents is not the same as Pokemon Direct, I guess, because one is like helmed by Nintendo and the other by Pokemon Company, or is it Creatures, or is it Game Freak? Game Freak? I don't know how any of that works. But we got new detail on a bunch of upcoming Pokemon games. So... uh I don't know what order to go then. I guess we did get the long-rumored, long-speculated remaster remake announcements for Diamond and Pearl called Pokemon Brilliant Diamond and Pokemon Shining Pearl coming in late 2021. And what do we think about these? I think the most distinct and easy-to-call-out aspect of these is how they visually look. The art style is very chibi, very different. I I will say... I, I don't hate it either. I will say one thing about the art style is that uh, somebody did like make a mock-up of having the models have like a small like outline to them. And I think that would actually look a lot better. I, I hope they take they actually see that and take that into account because I think that would be a really good uh, small change that would make the game just be a bit more readable, I feel like. I mean, they uh-huh. remind me of they did like the the thing I think about when they look at like the chibi character models. This game is like <sighs> I, I, I personally fight with them, but I think of like squished World of Final Fantasy models. When I <laughs> it just what reminds me of the uh, um, Story of Seasons uh, Friends of Mineral Town remake. Okay, yeah, yeah. I think for me, it's like it's one of those things where I don't I don't love the new designs 
I, I think they're fine, but it's not the sort of thing I'd be like angry about. I've seen people like, oh, Pokemon Company, like, screw you. Like, you're, you're messing up the game I've wanted remade for years. I'm like, they're still remaking it. Calm down. Like, it'll, you know, just, it's I, not that big I, a deal. I think, I think what's weird, though, it's got like one of the most popular um, champions in Cynthia. And you're going to have like Chibi Cynthia. And I think people, um, especially after Let's Go, that's my sort of, um, I, I don't care really either way. I'm going to play it, but. Um, I sort of felt like maybe the Let's Go set a precedent for how they were now approaching kind of classic games. Yeah. Um, and that, uh, I know obviously if it was in a Let's Go art style, people would immediately think, oh my God, am I going to have to like, you know, throw my Joy-Con at the, at the TV to catch a Pokemon? <laughs> but um, I, I just think that that to me was the sort of reaction I had was like, ah, uh-huh. you know, I thought they had the Let's Go sort of engine now or, Whatever. I, mean, I don't understand. I'm not a developer. I'm completely uh, uh, ignorant to all that. But I mean, I mean, they, 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 this is the weird thing about the presentation was, like, they they straight up said, like, this is an outsourced project. This is developed by Ilka Inc. And mm. obviously, Junichi Junichi Masuda is still directing it, but he's also uh, directing it with Yuichi Ueda from Ilka. So it was mm. kind of a I don't know what to make of it. Like, just announcing upfront to everyone, it's like, hey, hey, hey. We're not developing this. This is outsourced to Ilka, you know. It, it was sort of that, like uh, holding a secret card in your hands of like, oh yeah, we're not working on this, but here's what we're working on. Obviously, which we'll move on to. Um, but for me as well, like it, it just seems a bit weird that then they don't haven't taken ownership of the project in the same way that yeah, like you know, I, everyone who's been holding out for Diamond Pearl remake they don't, now gets that. But it, it was it was I know it was well meaning what they did by, by announcing that, but there's also some weird like. <sighs> implication of it behind this is like hey don't don't blame us for this if you're having yeah, yeah. any complaints it's, it's ilka guys it's like yeah, oh, and, yeah. Kind of and i wonder if it's actually you know secretly a platinum remake rather than a diamond pearl remake in the sense there yeah there is I, all of the i'm not sure that. about that considering like uh um, omega ruby and alpha sapphire was specifically like ruby and sapphire content and uh Masuda is working as a co-director on this too, so it's like, I mean, oh, I hope it happens, but after Omega Ruby Alpha Sapphire, I'm, I'm not holding my breath. I saw some people like post some screenshots to try to find evidence that it is actually Platinum Remake. Like, oh, this NPC wasn't there in the original games, and I haven't, I haven't played like those games recently enough to know that. So I kind of have to take other people's mm-hmm. word. Like, if they say a, a character, oh, in the screenshot, that person's only there, therefore this is must be Platinum. I'm this like, NPC uh, is holding up the two sided and platinum. They said two, and the originals they only had one. <laughs> yeah, so I'm kind of like I have to take your oh. word for it. Uh, what well, one thing? Because like I think, uh, go ahead, CD. Oh, sorry. No, you good. I was going to say that. Like old. I think, I think uh, my so this is probably the last generation of Pokemon that I really got into, um, and I just feel like platinum as the third entry was a bit beyond what yellow or sapphire or especially sapphire or not sapphire um crystal sorry crystal i I kept thinking of suicune but uh like it like they had kind of like this weird tangent thing with yellow version or things like that with a third version but then with like emerald and platinum they really went ham on those so i feel like a lot of people would be disappointed if this doesn't have the things that platinum added to the game Hmm. i mean i was just gonna say like one thing i didn't really like about what we've seen so far of it was the text boxes which is a really weird like thing mm. to complain about, but they just yeah, kind know, of specific. They, they just didn't look. I guess they look classic to the uh, Nintendo DS um, game, but 
I don't know, I kind of feel like it seemed a bit re retro to me um, in a sort of like trying to modernize something, but also have it um, be nostalgic was back in the day. You know, I mean, um, at, at least the, the pros of it having a more simplistic art style and design is that at least the footage they've shown, it looks stable and it looks like, okay, this looks somewhat playable. Like, and I don't have to like suffer any like frame dips and frame drops in this like this wouldn't make sense for it to have that if they're going with this more simplistic style because it like that's the thing that stuck out to me after the fact of what they showed next and it's like it's like you know what i'm okay with this because at least it looks like it's gonna run stable yeah, yeah it's I, clean I, and it's good i was just i was gonna say like i, I just felt like the uh the art stars moved more towards the sort of anime you know kind of bringing those two things, bridging the gap towards those. Um, obviously, Sword and Shield had a, I don't know, a mixed reception, um, tree textures. Um, but um, the character models in that game um, were quite anime aesthetic, and then obviously the world was sort of like watercolour, I don't know, which people weren't completely sold on, which I understand. Um, but with the, the retro games, obviously, Let's Go, that, that started to kind of move towards more of that sort of anime styling. And this obviously just seems... It's like they've got three art styles on the go now. Um, and there's a bit in the trailer where you see, like, uh, I can't remember the lake's name, but there's like, um, you can see the water um, animation, and that's very realistic. Um, and then everything else is obviously quite in line with the classic Pokemon games. Um, it's a, yeah, it's a, mix, a mixed sort of bag of everything. Yeah, you can definitely tell that their aim for this, like, look of the game was just. Uh, like th like a, what would like a 3d render of the classic um style of like pokemon games are like you know the overhead kind of big head overworld type of style but like 3d renditions of that and what they would look like is it's, it's almost how how your your brain built out what you saw on the nintendo ds like you have yeah what you saw and then how you sort of how you remember your it minds mm -hmm. of what it would be uh which you know obviously will satisfy a lot of people, but I, I don't really have a particular nostalgia for Diamond Pole. Um, I don't think I beat them. I really got back into Pokemon when Black and White came out, so um, slightly after. That's, that's a common like, sentiment I've, I've heard that throughout the week of people. It's like you know, of uh, Diamond and Pearl didn't really hit with me, but I really like Black and White. But then they went back on the Diamond and Pearl philosophies and two Diamond and Pearl philosophies and. I dip back out again. <laughs> kind of a weird I, thing. I, I I, sorry. I was going to say, I, I don't want to play Diamond Pole through now and then play the remake through later in the year. Because um, obviously it'll probably come out in November. They said late 2021 or winter 2021 in the Japanese stream, I think. But it's clearly going to be November. Um, yeah. I don't want to play it through to then have a comparison point. Because at the moment I've got like probably maybe 10 hours worth of playing that game. Um, in the back of my mind from like whenever it came out. Um... I will say this, that if uh, these remakes don't get the Platinum content, I think I wouldn't be as, as uh, kind of upset compared to like Omega Ruby and Alpha Sapphire not getting the Emerald content. Because I feel like the main thing with Diamond and Pearl was never, like the issues were never a lack of content or post game or anything like that. Because like, Diamond and Pearl actually had a pretty decent post-game. You had that extra island off in the top right corner. You had a bunch of legendaries. You had Cresselia, Heatran, Regigigas. 
Giratina. You had, um, I feel like there's something else I'm forgetting too. Uh, well, you had the Light Trio. It, it was really good, like post game. Like the main problems with base game Diamond and Pearl were specifically the slow battles, which can be fixed in a remake, anyways, and the lack of Pokemon variety. And I'm pretty sure every remake since, uh, well, since after, well, even Fire Red and Leaf Green had a bit better. Uh, um, well, actually, Fire Red and Leaf Green didn't really impact it, but like every remake since like Heart Cold and Soul Silver, which I guess is just two, um, mm. have had better, um, had a better slate of Pokemon for you to use from the get go. Obviously, the major thing is is that we want there to be more than one fire type for people to use. Besides, uh, mm. if if you didn't choose Chimchar, you're basically stuck using like what Rapidash, I think it was in the, the original Diamond and Pearl. But uh, yeah, so I think I'll like this anyways. I do wish it was a, clearly this is a lower budget project than like Sword and Shield was even. I do wish there was a bit more to the remakes, but I'm still excited. Like Gen 4 is my favorite generation and I do want to replay it. <laughs> I just, uh, I do hope they have the platinum content. I'm not holding my breath. It would be nice, but even if it doesn't, interested to see whatever changes they make it's also that weird sort of backstep as well because obviously if it is a uh, uh sort of like retro remake uh in style do they still have all the hidden machines in there um because that was something obviously that got chopped um as the series has progressed so you have to have like that bidoof with like um all of those like strength and all that kind of stuff that you get from the hidden machines just to kind of move a boulder um I'm not just being faithful. Like, what? What is a remake if you don't have to use Bidoof? <laughs> I, I mean, is it really Pokemon Diamond and Pearl about having a Bidoof as an HM slave? <laughs> uh, well, I, I wouldn't worry about HM still being there. Like, even if it's a faithful remake, they haven't had HM since like Generation Seven with Sun and Moon, like, where they literally axed it anyways. Like every game yeah. since hasn't had them, so it would be really, really weird if they made the back step now. So and, and hell, let's go. We're technically like remakes of of uh, Yellow, and they didn't have HMs. So yeah, it's just um, like point, just weird. they've got sort of like three three lines of games now. Like one, this sort of march to the future of uh, what we're about to talk about. Um, the sort of like retro remake and then let's go seems to be its own thing now because we're surely going to get like a, a let's go based on the johto region um at some point whenever that is um well anyway. if they can if they can like start if they can keep you know enlisting these other developers to deal like these smaller <laughs> projects while they put these main teams and give them more than a year or a year and a half to work on these things it's kind of like the Call of Duty Three Studios approach, or something. Where if they, if they, if if it is set in stone that they must have a release every year, and they can kind of even the load a bit by having other teams work on these like remakes or let's goes, maybe that'll work out better in the long run. Honestly, I'm here for it because if they're not going to increase like Game Freak's uh, development team size, which they should, it's actually kind of embarrassing how few people they have when Pokemon's the biggest franchise in the world. This is a decent way of handling it. If Pokemon's always going to be a yearly franchise, people have been begging to, um, the Pokemon company to let other companies take a shot at mainline games. 
And having a different company do most of the work for a remake while like Game Freak has more time to work on the next evolution of Pokemon, I'm here for that. I think that's a great idea. So what you're saying is some, someone's making the Pokemon Battle Royale then. Yeah, of course. <laughs> where are we dropping? I mean, a Pokemon <laughs> Battle Royale where you evolve mid-match would actually be kind of dope. That would be sick. I'd, I'd be down for that. Well, we're getting a MOBA this year, so it's all... True. Thanks, Tencent. Only a matter of time. Let's actually let's actually open the the gate on what we've been being coy about. So the other thing that they announced was Pokemon Legends Arceus. Arceus? I don't know how to pronounce Ar that. Ar CD. Arceus. Arceus. So uh -huh. this. <laughs> okay, so this was a game that uh, they. This is what they ended their presentation with. It is an open world, seemingly turn based RPG. Based on like feudal era Sinnoh, like no, the, no, it's the... not feudal. There was actually just like a noggin video where he was like trying to pinpoint like what the inspiration would have been, and it's actually like just post-industrial. Oh, okay, which is weird. But it's it's like early Sinnoh because the whole goal of the game is that the player is trying to complete Sinnoh's first Pokedex. So, um, and people are gonna hate us, and people have already been cynical about this, but. It's the sort of game where I feel like you're you're doing it a disservice if you're not invoking the comparisons to Breath of the Wild. I know people are always going to be like, "Oh, Breath of the Wild didn't invent open world, or it didn't invent outside or trees or whatever." But the it fact did? that it's like, well, as far as I know, it didn't. That's what they tell me. <laughs> but the fact that it's a um, a genre divergence for something that's been kind of in a rut for a while in terms of what the mainline series consists of and are. They 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 try to change it up a little bit with like sun and moon, uh, but now here is like where they're trying to really take a big swing at it and change up what a Pokemon game can be. So uh, this let trailer is a I'll let you fit, like finish kind of like describing the trailer. Well, I, I was just gonna say that there are tons of ways you can attack this trailer. How it looked like, like visually, like objectively, the quality of how it looked, how it ran what we saw the art style the gameplay style and a lot of it is like it seems like there's a lot of potential but and maybe it's just our the our minds getting ahead of our, our brains a bit in terms of like what's possible but when i when i look at this trailer again and i rewatch it i don't see a whole lot to get excited about right now but this game oh, is slated right. for 2022 me, yeah go ahead let me say this i feel like if you've played the DLC for Sword and Shield, particularly the second one, uh, well, first off, obviously my history with Sword and Shield is kind of spotty. I wasn't a huge fan of the base game, though uh, I was turned around after the excellent expansion pass. Um, Award-winning impressions, or nominated. <laughs> Award-nominated uh, uh, Pokemon writer. Um, I'll say that some of the things that they did specifically in uh, the Crown Tundra DLC for Sword and Shield gives me an idea of what they might be able to do in uh, Legends, which makes me really excited. Specifically, the way that um, the bird trio, the, the Galarian Kanto bird trio, and the way that you have to do specific puzzle solving to even catch them or like engage them in that. DLC, that gives me a lot of hope for the things that they can do with how you capture Pokemon in Legends. I feel like it's very interesting. 
what I see in the trailer, obviously there's a lot of, there's sloppy visuals, there's performance issues. What I see is promise. And I wouldn't normally give them the benefit of the doubt there, but after seeing specifically how they managed to kind of have a pseudo completely open world in um, Crown Tundra, I'm, I'm feeling a lot more hopeful. The fact that they've been working on this and they haven't even been worried about the Diamond and Pearl stuff, that makes me feel a lot better about this. I, I think this is the next step that Pokemon needs. Yes. I, I wouldn't be hopeful for it if I didn't already see them make those baby steps in the Crown Tundra. Since I've seen them make those steps and play around with it, and obviously, in my opinion, already start to nail it there, I am completely ready to see what they do with this. If nothing else, it's completely different from anything that's come before, and I'm going to give it the benefit of the doubt for that alone, just because I want to see experimentation. I'm sure a bunch of Pokemon players have wanted to see experimentation. This is it. I'm, re I'm, I'm, go, I'm go time. I'm ready to see what, it's, what it ends up being. Yeah, I thought that was interesting to... about this. Uh, we all want to chat about this. Uh, I, I just want to tell you the, the starters. So the starters are like a cross mismatch of stuff from other regions. So you've got uh, Rowlet, which is Generation 7. And then you've got uh, Oshawott, which is 4? No, no Pipwop's 4. 5. Yeah. Uh, and, and then you've got Cyndaquil, Generation 2. I just thought it was interesting because like... Uh, Rawlet turns into like an archer Robin Hood type thing in Decidueye. And then Ashawat is like a samurai. So those kind of fit the setting. And then you've got Cyndaquil who turns into Cyndaquil's like... here too. <laughs> it's like a fire gopher thing. <laughs> so, but I don't know. It's kind of cool that they can like, all right, we've got all, we don't have to like reinvent the wheel. We've got some cool starters and uh, at least two thirds of them, the majority of them fit the setting. So here we go. As silly as it is. Okay, so... The, honestly, the main reason I'm so I'm so interested in this is that I was a huge fan of Pokemon Coliseum and Pokemon XD Gale of Darkness on GameCube, which was the last time that they really experimented with the main formula in a sort of spin-off game. So I'm just like the fact that they're even is going going as far as, hey, we're going to have totally different starters. So not Gen 4 starters, it's a medley of previous generation stuff. That is Dope. I, I like that idea. It's yeah, I wanna, I'm, thing, definitely, yeah. I'm definitely going to keep an open mind on this. I, my, my, all I said, it's like my one hope is I hope to have a new, more powerful Switch by the time this comes out. That's mm -hmm. all I really, I want this game. I, I, want, I want this to be a success because I want them to really shake up the formula, but I want them to be firing on all cylinders too. And it looks like, you know, the, obviously this early game footage, is, this game isn't out by 2022. Game optimization isn't, you know, usually done until the end of dev cycles and whatnot. But I want this to be running as well as it could, off like from the get go. And I think this would be like a good way to, like, this would be a good selling point to be as like as a vehicle for a new switch that is like a more powerful switch. So I, I want this to do really well. And I think there's all like as James said, uh, this looks really promising. Obviously, there's this is very early in like what they've shown us. But I, you know, there's a lot of time to really fill in the void of like how you progress in this game. What does like you know, what does everything look like in this game when all said and done? And yeah, I I, I want this to. Th this looks really cool. This looks really cool. Yeah. Oh, go on, George. Okay, you go first. I was going to say like um, 
one thing I think that people have picked up online is that this is a single player uh, game um, as well. And with Sword and Shield, like I know it has its own fair share of issues anyway, but one of the real sort of like um, ugly points of it is when you go online in the wild area uh, mm-hmm. to, to to participate in the max ray battles and stuff because it just chugs because it's trying to load in other players in your area. It's just terrible. So a single player experience would largely, hopefully, allow them to um, iron out, you know, some of that uh, stuff. And when I rewatched the trailer after um, the presentation, I mean, I'm I'm not really a techie kind of guy. I'm not into. I don't have a PC. And I don't all like all these graphics cards and stuff and know everything in any great detail. But a lot of it is when um, in the initial trailer they've shared yesterday. Um, the things that I saw, I'm like, ooh, that's terrible, was just when there's like a Pokemon that you've encountered that's just popped in and the actual like animation on it. I don't know if it's a frame rate thing or if it's just like the actual animation for that isn't finalized yet. But uh, You're talking about Chingling, huh? Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, one of one of many. Um, the cham- Chimchar is quite bad as well. Um, but yeah, that, that doesn't look like, obviously it's not finalized. You know, we've got a, a long time to go. But, well, a year. But um that, that that stuff obviously i understand the worry around that but we don't know how old this footage is either um it could be that this is an early build that they prepare the trailer a few months back and then COVID has impacted the development so oh let's just use that trailer that we you know had ready to go in whenever um and even um, if and like even if it is a really recent like build they have a year yeah and also my my sort of you know <laughs> curved pokeball to throw in here is um i wonder if if game freak um may call on some sort of assistance um with approaching this as an open world game uh, model is soft exactly see same wavelength um purely because obviously breath of the wild wasn't solely nintendo you know they got a lot of assistance to sort of make sure that was as good as it could be and Coric forest is clearly a frame rate hellhole but um I wonder if there is some sort of assistance there that we're not aware of yet, where you know Game Freak is obviously, you know, the the dominant developer, but they've got some help to make sure this is a reality. And the last thing I was going to say is um, this also has its own branding, Pokemon Legends, and obviously Arceus is the Pokemon. Um, just like Let's Go, um, I feel like this is sort of like, hey, here's a new idea. Um, they'll release the game. Um, hope I'm sure it'll do well. It's Pokemon. Everything seems to sell well still for Pokemon brand, but um, if it's something that maybe doesn't deliver on what, what people like, or they're not wholly keen on it, or the, the feedback is not as positive as they hoped, or, or whatever happens with it, um, it, like James said, this is them experimenting. Um, this is their Final Fantasy thirteen trilogy phase, where they're just like, let's try this. Oh, let's I, try I, I, I mean, I already, I already know my feedback. If like if this doesn't, doesn't pan out, well, I'd, like if they're asking for a wish. At least they I tried. Know. I already yeah. know my wish list yeah. is if they have like Monolith Soft like anywhere in development or like bring them in and be like, all right, just make like Pokemon mechs. Just but design I, them I, like I, mechs and then you enter the Pokemon. <laughs> oh, I just yeah. found this tweet that uh, goes into some some uh, symbolism for the starters chosen that's actually really interesting. So Hokkaido is like obviously got history with the Ainu people and Oshawott, well, Otters are significant in Ainu mythology. Uh, owls are important in Ainu tradition. And Cyndaquil is like 
the closest fire starter to like a volcano and volcanic like stuff is important um, there too. So it's interesting if that's actually the case and the starters might've been chosen to kind of coincide with my new stuff. That would be neat. Uh, well, another sort of weird thing is the, the law of um, the Sino region that people picked up on as well as the uh, ages back from Diamond and Pearl era, um, it was said that people used to marry Pokemon. So this could be the, uh, you know, the, the dating rom-com Pokemon game. Oh, God. <laughs> so uh, obviously Dalot's going to be in the game, but who knows? You never um, know, man. This is experimental. Yeah, like, like James said, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that, you know, this, this is something that people have been asking for since Breath of the Wild came out. They're like, huh, now why can't you do this to Pokemon? And this seems to be that sort of thing where you're in an open world. Uh, you seem to be able to go wherever you want. The Pokemon just to seem to appear, obviously, in you know uh, the overworld, for want of a better term. Um, and I, my, my sort of like, I don't know, I, I didn't quite like the battle transitions in the trailer. You know, oh, there's a Pokemon there, and there's a part where they throw a um, throw. They're hiding in some like tall grass, and they throw a Pokeball, and it goes over the top of the Pokemon, but then it ca- it try it catches the Pokemon. I'm like, that you missed, you missed. This is just bad. Um, and also the, the sort of transitions to battles, I'm not quite convinced about that yet. Like, I prefer the sort of, like, hard, oh, you've bumped into Pokemon or you've chosen to battle it transition rather it than... It might be interesting if they have it so that while you're battling a Pokemon, a more aggressive Pokemon in the background sees you and, like, joins in. And then you have to run away, like, Xenoblade style, because it's, like, a level... A hundred. Um, oh, that reminds me. Another tweet I saw that was funny, but also raises a good point: is the existence of a dodge button implies that Pokemon will try and beat your ass. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean the the art style as well. I'm not um, obviously, like we say, it's early in development. Um, it seems very reminiscent of sort of Breath of the Wild, sort of like cell shady, sort of minimalist style um and i've seen a lot of people kind of look at the uh, trainer characters um at the symbol on there um oh, what's that body part called shoulder whatever around that area um and say that that looks like it's a team galactic logo i'm like really don't really see that connection um but the actual uh, trainer characters just remind me of greninja to be honest um in a weird way but they're all blue and they've got like a pink scarf on or something but i don't know it, it's promising I, I think um you know this is what the brands needed for a while to um like you say the sort of development cycle they've been on hasn't allowed probably for as much experimentation as yeah, it's uh, not safe which is, i think is the best thing it can't be right now yeah yep. and um my, my issue is that you know they seem to kind of add all these things and you think oh yes it's really cool z moves and then suddenly they're gone and you're sort of like oh okay, right. mega revolution Great drop. Um, Gigantamax. Yeah, that's. I, I want to see Gigantamax Samurai. Well, this is the weird thing with uh, the COVID era of our lives. All, all the competitive scenes, obviously, still playing uh, online and stuff, but they're not competing at events and the World Championships aren't going ahead. So if the Legends game is single player only um, and Down and Pole is a sort of um, probably only going to have the Pokedex, you know, for that game. 
uh, what the competitive game moving forward will still be Sword and Shield for at least until the end of 2022. So, um, I don't know. I, multiplayer has always been such a key part, even just trading with people in Pokemon, um, filling out your Pokedex, unless you're one of the people like me who buys both copies of the game. Um, I, I just wonder how... I mean, I'm happy they're going back to sort of, if it is wholly single-player adventure um, style game, but I wonder how much of an attraction it'll be for people if there's not that sort of other elements to it beyond that. Uh, I can't explain that more com- more eloquently, but... Um, no, yeah. well, maybe, I mean, like, Pokemon Coliseum was a wholly single-player, so maybe it's just kind of like that's the space that it wants to occupy. At least yeah, I think the game was. And the, the cadence of the game's coming out as well. You've got, you know, potentially, you know, the, the, the remake's coming out in November, uh, and then the Legends game is supposed to be early 2022. So, um, you know, is there something for November 2022 as well? Is Legends just sort of like a, a crossover point of, oh, here's something new, try it out, let us know what you think. And then they've also got, uh, I think Game Freak split into two teams. Um, I don't know if they're all on this or not or whatever, but um... I do wonder if uh, with the whole deal with um, a different company again, I forget their exact name, working on the Diamond and Pearl remakes, if they do make another Let's Go game, if that would be Game Freak them um, themselves, if they or if they would actually pawn it off to a another developer like they've done here. Mm, I, just because the engine is now. Um... Sort of set, you know, they can call it sort of like, you know, right, this worked for uh, the LA remake, let's do a Jote one. Um, surely that's more straight. I mean, obviously, I'm not a developer, I don't understand all these things. Surely that's now slightly simpler than it was from scratch. Um, yep. And they would be able to t- sort of do that much more quickly. And if that is, you know, what comes November 2022, obviously, we've got the three games there, out before yeah. then. But in, yeah, in obviously, case, there's going to be like some sort of like, other Pokemon game next year, though I wonder if that would be DLC, maybe for like one of the like either the Diamond and Pearl remakes making a platinum or whatever for Legends. Who knows? But the fact that we're seeing more than one major like quote unquote mainline Pokemon project in a single year does kind of open the floodgates a bit. What if 2022 also has a Let's Go, or 2023 has a Let's Go and a mainline stuff like that? Yeah, and Nintendo's obviously. Um... You know, turn to other developers to sort of sort of pad out their lineup. You know, working quite closely with Koei Tecmo and um, Bandai Namco and stuff. Um, and obviously, if Pokemon's starting to do this now, I mean, this year you've got a new Pokemon Snap, which is Bandai Namco. Um, you've got the Diamond Pearl remake, which is oh, I've forgotten the name as well. Pokemon Conquest Two. I, is it Ilac? I can't remember what it's called. Well, that's cool. I actually I actually quite like that game. Um, and then obviously, then you've got Game Freak themselves working on Legends. Um, that that starts to kind of give them a bit more of a, a healthier cadence to their games because obviously crunch has been a big thing talked about a lot of uh, games over the last, well, I mean constantly, but over the last couple of years, it's become a more prominent topic. Um, Japanese developers. So you, br- don't so you really brought talk this up, it. but the uh, the uh, Pokemon Presents did also show a little bit of footage of Pokemon Snap 
uh, new Pokemon Snap, which is coming out in April. <clears throat> I don't think there's a ton to say here. I think it kind of looks like what we all expected. They showed some cool features where you're uh, you can like edit your photos once you take them. Obviously, they're graded by the professor. You can share them online. It's still gonna be bullshit, isn't it? That that, that new professor that's not Oak is still gonna be bullshit. It's like ah, yeah, know, where it's like perfectly that. centered, and he's like, yeah. uh, if only you had centered it more. Like, what are you talking about? That motherfucker, I'm ready to fucking hate his guts all over. Uh, this new Pokemon Snap seems like it'll be a fun diversion for a few hours. Like the for the original game was not that long. Like you can oh, do everything no. you can. So it's I wonder right, if this right. is going to be like the same scope or just enough I, to be like similar-ish. I, I, I don't know. I think you you move between different islands in in this one. Um, so that I, I can't speak to obviously how long the initial game will be, but I wonder if there'll be DLC for this over time where you know they'll add another another island that you can go to or something that's on the map. Oh uh, yeah, that's a that's a good point. They can expand on this uh, if they wanted to. So or you can go to another region. You know, like oh you've been around this new place that we've invented, I can't remember the name of it. Um but you can go around like, this area or you know some DLC around you know different locations, different regions of You know what they're the, gonna do? They're gonna do some weird augmented reality shit. Like you can like view your house through this well, like, Camera Nintendo, the, Nintendo yeah. Labo VRs, right there. There you <laughs> go. <laughs> um, and I feel like forever ago. Yeah. It, I know. To this whole Pokemon stuff is that I, I seem to be the only one who cares about this, and I keep bringing it up. But that Post Malone song, they've obviously got the the concert what? in like two and a half hours, I think. And they released like the first track of it, which is Only Want to Be of You. And it just it sounds incredible. Like, I don't know. How Pokemon it is, and if it's just a song I enjoy, but well, uh, Katy Perry's done a song as well. So, um, what? oh, what? Yeah. That's sick. Well, I mean, she's involved in the the anniversary project, so I'm assuming she's done a song for it. But awesome. so, Suma, um, we'll find out later. Who else has been involved with Pokemon as a celebrity? I was going to say Ariana Grande, but no, that's Final Fantasy. <laughs> Pokemon. Was that the mobile game? Is X- yeah, one remember. of them, Exvius yeah. or whatever. It feels inevitable that uh, I guess the next step for them, the uh, our outside partners, is like putting Pokemon into Fortnite. Do you think there uh, you go. Ariana Grande will be in remake part two? Or... Uh, one can hope, right? She'll I mean, be in her... the, the the PS6 exclusive downloadable content <laughs> when, her, when remake part two comes out. Uh, Lara Croft um, and the guy from Deus Ex and Rico Rodriguez from Just Cause remake part two. My favorite. There you go. The, yes. Yes. Oh no! I was about to say the assassin from Hitman, but oh, not anymore is it? I, I don't, I don't nope. know. Has he has he shown no. up in Brave XPS? If he has, then he's a Final Fantasy character. Oh, oh wait, were all the characters you rattled off in Brave XPS? Yep. Wow! <laughs> I thought you were just going with Western Square Enix property. Yeah, I, I realized that's what legit. I think, <laughs> I thought, oh man, that's Brave what I thought as well. Oh wow. Well, All right, a... so as we go on from uh, Pokemon, we still have a ton left to talk about, and we're two and a half hours in. So I think just in the interest of not turning this into a five-hour podcast, uh, we're going to be a little bit more rapid-fire for some of these. So we some of these we might introduce, get a comment or two, or our initial response, and then move on, just because that's how everything ended up lining out this week. Uh, and then if anything like has significant follow-up, we can obviously retouch back on it. It doesn't have an expiration date um, in future weeks. So this is going to be a bit different for the podcast. Rapid fire mode. All right. So outside of the planned announcements this week from the state of play and the Pokemon Direct slash presents, 
Uh, we got some sour news kind of on the Western RPG front, uh, starting off with Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines 2. This was originally supposed to release last year, and then got delayed into this year. Long story short, it is delayed out of this year. And on top of that, the kicker is, is that it is no longer being developed by Hardsuit Labs, which was the developer under Paradox that had been working on it for the last few years. Um, and this is coming a few months off the heels of a lot of the original writing staff no longer being on the project. It's just a messy, soupy situation all around for Bloodlines 2. It is a definition of vaporware right now. <laughs> Uh, it's so weird because when this game was first announced, they had like this big ARG announcement leading up to it. They were doing like weekly or bi-weekly marketing, like introducing the clans, and people were like, "Oh, I wonder if my favorite clan from the original game." for pre-order, you could pay money for this game and uh, to get. Yeah, no, they talked about stuff. like the, the gold editions and all that, and then it just it feels like the, every every couple months another wheel would come off, and now we're wheelless, we're skidding on the tracks or off the yeah. tracks. This is this is. I don't know. This is like in line with like Dying Light 2 and Dead Island 2, you know? Well, unfortunately, it's also in line with the original Bloodlines where yeah, Troika that, Games that, that, ended up shutting down like right after it released. Um, and that huh. game, if you like, it, I know it has like a cult following and does some things really well, but you can feel that game like coming apart at the seams as you go through it. And does this game so, kind man, of come what, out? What a... that, that's, the, that's the big question. Does this game come out? Does it come out? I don't know if you um, you mentioned, but um, did they explain why the developer's been um, shunted? And got rid Not of only only in marketing speak. Okay, let's let's see. Let me actually pull up the quote. Uh, our studio org- our studio organization in particular has found it difficult to maintain the usual production pace. We have therefore chosen postponed planned releases. This also affects the development of Vampire: The Masquerade Bloodlines Two. We've now chosen to postpone the release of the game further. It just says Hard Suit Labs will no longer be leading the development of Bloodlines 2. We have started a collaboration with a new studio partner to finish work on the game. No other details than that. So, Who knows? very, very up in the air. Yeah, this um, is, I have a soft, uh, I, I don't love the original game, but I think it is interesting and does a lot of cool, interesting, compelling things. It would have been cool to see a version of that kind of polished up to modern standards with a little bit more ambition and a little bit of a more steady foundation it sounds like we're not at least getting that second thing uh i'm gonna say it still comes out but like if it's just like dragging itself across the finish line and it's an awful project that no one wants that's that still counts yeah i guess i don't know i mean it's it's a weird question like if this is an if or when situation now yeah we also got news on a similar, not quite the same front, that Bioware has stopped development on "quote unquote" Anthem Next. So obviously, over the last several years, they have been underway trying to, and they have they've openly stated this. They've been trying to see what they can do to revitalize Anthem in the in the vein of something like No Man's Sky, uh, and then it had it had kind of adopted the title Anthem Next. Uh, it's no longer happening. So Anthem will still exist as it currently does but like the like the current live service will remain running but they are there is no more development on on anthem so it's yeah, released in 2019 the, uh, is how R- it will R- it's yeah yeah it sucks because i forgot the individual's name who left bioware a few months back but he was in charge of like uh, like keeping like a blog of like 
the ideas they had and concepts they had for Anthem Next and showing like kind of the ongoing builds that they were having of uh, of things behind the scenes of what they were kind of leaning towards. And that there, there's a lot of promising school stuff, cool stuff of like, you know, kind of going back to skill trees and skill points and integrating them back into the game and how, how they're, they were going to tackle itemization and whatnot. And like, it sounded like, okay, it was pretty cool. As someone who's, who played the entire game and beat the entire game before it yeah. officially launched to the masses, you know, like I, there were definitely like there was merit to that game, like especially with the flight mechanics. It didn't come together all that well, but you know there there were cool ideas, and you know it's it's hard to care at this point. I um, to two work colleagues, we were looking for a multiplayer game to play together, and mm-hmm. uh, one of my colleagues very dependent on his um, Game Pass subscription on Xbox for games rather than having to buy things, and when EA play whatever it's called now they did change the name i think it went from EA access to EA play um when that got added to game pass we looked at everything and tried to work out what to play and anthem was the game we chose and we played it through from start to finish and um like you say there's lots of great stuff in there um it, it just falls into repetition quite heavily a lot of the time and some very weird moments of pacing where the quests you have to do are a bit um and also one thing that frustrated us was Unless all three of us um, had uh, the right quest, um, we'd go off thinking we'd all, we all had that quest, um, but then we'd all do it, and then obviously the progress wouldn't be synchronized because one person didn't actually have it. We'd have to go back and replay that quest. Uh-huh. So, I mean, that's not unique to Anthem, um, yeah. but uh, it happens in things like Destiny as well. But Monster Hunter that, struggles with that too a little bit. Yeah, but that, that sort of colored our experience or soured our experience a bit um but we really enjoyed well we played it through and persevered and enjoyed as much as we could from it although the ending i don't know if you remember the ending i remember um, the ending uh, but the last boss is just i don't know it's the, the weird Booty. It's, it's like that gigantic it, creature thing right we, we didn't even wipe its whole health bar it's like the opposite of me probing brave default too we didn't even wipe its whole health bar and then um the game just ended and we were like <laughs> Is that it? Is that the end of the game? We what? And the and, credits and, started, and everything. We were like, oh, yeah. There's like and, a pro credit scene that like uh, that. Oh, it sets up a narrative, yeah, yeah, like a new yeah. arc or a new story, and then that never came but, to me because of the way the game shipped and how it was received. You know, it's just it's just on one hand it's like, a shame, but on the other hand it's kind of like it wipe your hands just, clean off this too. I just I just wondered. Uh, my my perspective on this whole approach to sort of like looking to revitalize it or reboot it or whatever was always that why this you know, anthem as it is is now tarnished by reputation. I don't think it would have attracted a lot of players to come back to it. But uh, in, there, there, there's always that hope, I, like I was in, never, in the industry, like you know, ever since you saw what happened with FF fourteen and Realm Reborn. Yeah, I was say, legendary. I wasn't, I wasn't expecting the Final Fantasy fourteen sort of effect to happen, where something you know the product is rebooted and suddenly, oh wow, everything's clicking now, and everyone. Final Fantasy fourteen to me now is one of the best Final Fantasy, ga- uh, Final Fantasy games, even though I still need to catch up. Um, I always wonder why they didn't just try and you know if they saw merit in the idea and EA wanted to have a live service game like that, why they didn't just sort of work towards a sequel. And sort of see that as a sort of a reset point of the fact that, um, you know, building towards that rather than sort of having to scrap around and overhaul the whole game. Um, 
but I don't know. I'm not behind the scenes on that to know. Mm-hmm. Any, uh, yeah. Well, remember rapid fire. Thing. So. Oh uh, well, yeah, we're just kind of using no. our thoughts down, like yeah. Maybe, maybe, maybe right, I can get so, okay. I think I like one, to. Uh... One final uh, thing that they did mention in the in the announcement of this uh, cancellation of any future work on Anthem is that they do say moving forward, we're going to laser focus our efforts on Dragon Age, Mass Effect, and Star Wars: The Old Republic. So, for those people still playing that, which I've always wanted to get into but haven't. Um, oh, yeah, oh, here it's still doing well. So, just, just so speaking quick... of Dragon Age, okay. oh, go ahead, CD. One more thing. I was just going to say as a quick throwaway, quick thing. I always wanted to play Star Wars: Your Republic, but it's only on PC, and I can't play it on anything else. You can't play on anything else, and I can't play it on anything I've got. Well, so. I feel like when it when it released, that was before a lot of ground had been broken by mostly Final Fantasy XIV, but also like ESO being very uh, Elder Scrolls Online. That is being very console centric. Uh, well, I guess there's like also like Fantasy Star has been on console this whole time, so maybe I'm maybe I'm, that's not a correct statement, but yeah. Be interesting oh, to see more MMOs try to be cross. Nice rapid fire, Brian. I'm just kidding. Yes. <laughs> All right, Dragon Age. Dragon Age. We have reports. Uh, so there was a lot of EA news this uh, this week that kind of also fell out of this. They talked about how Gaia has been canceled, which was a next gen project that uh, they had been working on. With but the uh, studio that was the Motives project. But the the key thing for our coverage is that uh, there is a reinforced focus on the next Dragon Age will be a single-player RPG and will no longer have multiplayer aspects. Uh, it is, this, I'm, reading a, I'm reading a report from The Verge where it says it has been turned into a single-player... Originally. Oh, originally, yeah. Okay, I don't have the original article up. But it, apparently, like, this is not this is like legitimately a change in focus where it was going to have multiplayer aspects, but then in the recent months, it has shifted to be a single-player game, which I think most of us are thinking, like, yeah, maybe like Mass Effect multiplayer was better than we gave it credit for, and Dragon Age multiplayer was okay. But if you're going to laser focus on something, and if you really, if Bioware really needs a hit, like this, this seems like the right decision. This is yeah. The, this is uh, did, the, the, did, like the but they mentioned in the Bloomberg article that it was largely fa- like the two biggest factors in behind this decision of making the next Dragon Age be single player only, which is absurd to like vocalize but there's the state of things it was originally like going to be a live service game now a single player only game and that was due to one uh jedi fallen order being a massive success as a single player only game so thank god for that that thank you respawn you know for that uh it's all very well and also because of the unsuccess of anthem as we just discussed earlier uh so they're like you know we don't want to have a repeat of that so Give us your best best efforts. Now that we have, like, on paper, the financials say that a single player only game can be successful and drive in a lot of profit. Did uh, Did Dragon Age have multiplayer before like a previous it, game? It, there, there, there was multiplayer modes. Yeah. What? Yeah. Never knew that. What? Wow. Okay. I'm pretty sure so, it was right. Uh, my my memory is crazy, right? Like I'm thinking Inquisition. Like I think there was. You could have a single second player, I think. Oh yeah, yeah. Inquisition did have multiplayer. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just I would never knew that. Right, rapid fire. A uh, couple sales updates here. Uh, Near Automata, which just turned four, has surpassed five and a half million shipments, which I think is. I want to say other. Wait, what? Absolutely insane. I. 
never like before it came out, I never would have even guessed it would sell much more than 1 million, even like with the most optimistic, like guess. Yeah. And it's, it's, it seems like it's far surpassed our expectations. It might be the reason we're getting a near remaster. Maybe not might probably is the reason we're getting a near remaster this year. <laughs> it, is, it is not, it is now considered like they, they mentioned it like a few months back. I forgot how far back, but like, the Nier brand and Square internally in Square Enix is like now it's like looked at and treated as like a premium brand. It's <laughs> just crazy to fucking think about. You where before what? it was just Yoko Taro's little uh, pet project. It's like, oh, yeah. you work on that Nier thing, Taro. <laughs> Do They're like, oh, wait a minute, we should pay attention to what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> the other update uh, on a similar vein is that Octopath Traveler has sold two and a half million, which I still think like is for the style of game that that is, for the throwback that it is, for how much it's banking on nostalgia and it's PC Switch only. It's uh, pretty good. Also, it's really good. Yeah, pretty pretty damn good. And that's probably why they why they greenlit that Project Triangle strategy. It's like, hey, do this HD two D thing again. Uh, we got the announcement that Void Terrarium, which is a game that we did a YouTube video on uh, last year, uh, a roguelike from Nice uh, from Nice who. Is that, is that the right publisher? Yeah. Nipponichi. Yeah. Yeah, Nice America. Same green. All right. Uh, it's coming out for PlayStation 5 uh, on May 18th in America and May 21st in Europe. So just a kind of a fun, cool, independent project. You know, it's a kind of like a, it's it's just a game that exists where it's not part of a franchise, not part of an existing IP, just a couple of fun ideas. Uh, it's a roguelike, so it does have some of this. If you if you have you know stepped through the gateway of Hades or whatever, and you want to play more different styles of roguelikes? Well, here's Void Terrarium coming out for PS5, George. Uh, we also have the Caligula Effect 2 is heading uh, west in the fall of 2021 for PlayStation 4 and Nintendo Switch. So uh, this was a weird game that was announced alongside the Direct, but only in the Japanese version. So it's kind of weird that here a week later uh, we get the official localization announcement. But hey, here it is. So we kind of talked about the announcement of this last week. Go ahead, Josh. Yeah, it's weird that's not coming to PC because the Caligula Effect Overdose, the remake of the first game, is on PC. Well, so. to be fair, that PC port was done by NIS America. So like, they'll probably announce it later if it does end up happening. Because okay. keep in mind, this announcement for Caligula Effect 2 comes before it's even out in Japan. That's true. And yeah, I guess, sure, I guess. I mean, I, uh, apparently people wanted this, so uh, <laughs> I guess, sure. Monster Hunter Rise is, I think this was heavily speculated or leaked, but we have some it was, confirmation through it. Yeah, it was leaked with that whole like Capcom mega leak. We haven't really talked about it because, well, obviously, I mean, that information was gathered, gathered illegally, but now it's confirmed so we can say, yeah. We knew it was coming. We knew it was probably going to be 2022. Now it's official. Not to bury the lead. This is uh, Monster Hunter Rise coming to PC. I was about to say it, and then I think you jumped in to, to say it, but then no one actually said it. <laughs> Monster yeah, Hunter Rise. Good. It's coming out for Switch in the end of March, but will also be coming to PC in uh, 2022. So I think Jeez. this is obviously a smart move, seeing how well World like smashed Capcom records on Steam. So it seems like a no-brainer. Hopefully it means that well, I guess it means that inevitably they're going to have this weird PC delay again. I guess, unless it launches on PC with, with everything the, that yeah. the Switch version gets by that point next year. But I know that was kind of a thorn in the side of PC Monster Hunter players. 
for a long time. With they Ice hate Born. PC so, players. That's what it is, man. Yeah, it's <laughs> discrimination. What were we going to say, George? It's a shame that it's not coming to consoles. Like, I'd really... Well, consoles besides Switch, I mean. If it's coming to Don't PC... do you guys then... have Switches? <laughs> Come on now. Plus, honestly, the fact that this game is being, like, targeted towards Switch means that theoretically there's way more people on pc that will be able to play it because world was a pretty like heavy game not just on the gpu but even the cpu so like hopefully rise like more pc should be able to handle it i'm i'm just surprised they confirmed it before the switch version's out in the yeah. sense of usually you get that you know initial launch Boy, and, you know i have a quick question well, even I, though I, was say, I thought you were going to say like the developers would be very coy about it and they equivocate we're like ah it's not there's yeah. no plan I mean, it's, it's gonna it's gonna sell obviously gangbusters on switch anyway because uh, you know especially you know it's sort of a good fit um i'm just glad obviously with rise we're actually getting a from the ground up you know switch game rather than uh, generations ultimate which was sort of like a bit of a stopgap for for this basically um Wonder if it will have cross-platform support, Switch versus PC teaming up. Yeah, I rampage. I don't think so. I don't think so. Just because if you look at the series history on Nintendo handhelds, there's probably going to be some like Nintendo crossover stuff, like your Palico and I guess your uh, K. Um, what's the name for the uh, Palamute? Palamute. Palamute. That's right. I'm sure there's going to be stuff like that. So if that's the case, kind of hard to see Nintendo agreeing to there being cross-play or cross-save. Yeah. Turn your Palamute yeah. into Yoshi. <laughs> That'd be great. It's my bad, man. Just going to be the most cursed thing in existence since the uh, Assassin's Creed Origins uh, Chocobo. Oh, oh, the Choco <laughs> Horse. Oh, God. I, I, I've almost scrubbed that from my brain. Thank you. <laughs> it was... Sick. It was a Choco camel, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. was it a camel? Oh, damn. yeah. I just remember, it, I just remember it, it, it had four legs. It looks even worse off. than you remember. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, all right. Uh, we're pushing up against three hours here. Uh, Sony and, and kind of dour news on their front because we got we to gotta balance the good with the bad. Um, they are downsizing Japan Studio and focusing it around Team Asobi, who is the, the studio behind uh, Astrobot. So this yeah. was originally kind of reported by Bloomberg late last year, and a lot of people like didn't give it a lot of credit or a lot of merit, and they thought it was just you know kind of fear mongering. But it turns out that it seems to be the case. Uh, so this was originally um, focused. Uh, this was originally published in a VGC article, and then kind of substantiated and backed up by another Bloomberg article. Uh, and yeah, it just seems like a bummer because Japan Studio behind. Obviously, like Demon Souls and Bloodborne and Gravity Days slash Rush, so kind of well, a lot okay, of okay. Like those... So yeah, that's the weird thing about Japan Studios; they're all this first-party studio, but a lot of the output from um, Japan yeah. Studio, they were they were like they, they were like a, like a co-producer or a producer almost because they a lot of their output wasn't them like in-house. It's like stuff like Ape Escape was them in in-house, but like say like things like Bloodborne. They're part of, but that was from From Software, right, and, and whatnot. So I mean, it it it's really it's a bitter pill to swallow because a lot of like early great 
RPGs from the PlayStation brand came from that. You're th- you think of Ark the Land, you think of Wild Arms. They were a part of that, you know. And, and then, of course, you know, like um, Gravity Rush, Shadow of the Colossus, too, right? I know it's not an yeah, RPG, but yeah. yeah, Eco, a Shadow of the Colossus. Like, obviously, that was Oeda's team who like split off, but they were a part of that initial development and the like the original versions of that game. Um, I think we need uh, to. Uh... We need to pull one out for a uh, knack and knack too as well. It's right, and yeah, and uh, a lot, a lot of like the 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 Vita, like the cool Vita shit, like Soul Sacrifice Delta, uh, Freedom Arms, Freedom or was War. it? What was it? Freedom Wars and Freedom War. Wars and Tainted Bloodlines. Yeah, like there was it, a lot of really neat Japan Studio stuff on Vita this last generation, but not enough on PS4. I understand why. Because obviously the Japanese audience was on the Vita, but I feel like that unfortunately kind of sealed their fate once uh, um, Sony became much more of an Americanized company. Because if there's more of a focus on the consoles, there is that disconnect, and it just led to issues. Like I, I it just would feel less bad if like they could re-release some of their library in um, modern systems, like uh, like some of my like. Favorite like favorites that aren't popular like Jean d'Arc on PSP, really great game. Um, Folklore on PS3, which like was one of the rare instances where like the six axis was like used for like uh, utilized effectively well. It was actually good. It was actually pretty good. You know, I would lo- love that. Like you, but you saw like you saw things falling apart like early, you know as time went on, especially when uh, Sony became. And they refocused their like central efforts on like America, or, like that's where the HQ is now, or whatever. Um, like when you saw like talent, like the Gravity Rush uh, person, like leaving a few months back, you saw more and more Japan Studio like leaving, and then you saw like their IPs even kind of being way sided like into mobile, like Ark the Lad and Wild Arms, like became mobile gotcha games. Um, Ark the Lad is still up. But I think wild, the Wild Arms one shut down, um, and whatnot. It's a it's a shame, you know. Like because you, you think about like really great PlayStation RPGs, and Japan Studio was behind or in, involved with in some way uh, a good amount of them, and now it's just you know Team Asobi does really great work with Astrobot and whatnot. I really enjoyed that that launch game that came with the PS5. But oh yeah, that was awesome. Yeah, it's great. There's you even know, the uh, classic stuff like Echo Chrome back on PS3. I really like yeah. that stuff. Well, yeah, that was uh, a game. I just don't know why. I mean, obviously, there's all business reasons behind it, and they they know what their financials are like more than we would ever do. But um, I just I just wonder if they just move down the path of more download, you know, smaller project stuff. Um, I, it just it's weird because they because you think about like uh, obviously Sony wants their first party stuff right now to be mega hits like. God of War, Ghost of Tsushima, Last of Us Part Two, and whatnot—they want all of those to be Spider Man. And it's it's hard to like, it's hard to like guarantee like, hey, you bring the Gravity Rush person over, and you give, uh, you imagine the behind the scenes meeting was like, hey, we'll give you another Gravity Rush game, but can you guarantee us a sales target of like the Four same as God of War? Like that, where, yeah, where you're like, uh, like that's a high fuck? bar for Gravity Rush. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
you know, you know, it's, know. You know it's absolutely fucked though when even the everybody's golf folks now have to branch out and make their own version of the game yeah, yeah. <laughs> but at least, at least we got playstation all-stars battle royale though oh what a game <laughs> what, what a saving grace I'm pretty sure the only reason that Asobi is still doing well is that they're going to want to have another Astrobot game as a launch title for PSVR 2. Yep. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. Which, you know what? Fine. I mean, Astrobot, they're great games. Like, the VR game's really good. Obviously, everyone that's played Playroom, it's like probably one of the best PS5 games still. Um, that And that's not to disparage the rest of the PS5 library. It's still solid for like the first like couple of launch months, but. Yeah, I, I hope they're able to do more than that, but it seems pretty clear that their main focus is going to be Astrobot for the foreseeable future. It, um, Playroom is just such a showcase of what PS5 can be with the controller and all that kind of stuff. Um, but none of the other... I mean, you've got great games. Demon's Souls Remake, Solid. Uh, Spider-Man's obviously great, but there's nothing really else that has that sort of creative spark in the same way, which is why I think I kind of will miss japan studio working at a larger scale because i always look to them for the more kind of quirky oh i didn't realize i like this game sort of moments uh, but obviously that also feeds into the fact that no one really bought them because i didn't realize how good all that stuff was um and like why does sony need their own internal studio to make these weird experimental games when they can just have indies or more or probably in their yeah. minds and much less money to guarantee time exclusivity or console exclusivity for indies and basically have the same impact. Yeah, yeah that's the name on my head there, unfortunately. Yeah. Which from a business standpoint, I understand, but man, the main reason I loved PlayStation was because of those smaller tier Japanese games. I'm with you, man. I'm totally with you. They were, they were so creative. I, I think that's the issue, isn't it? It's a loss of identity rather than a like you know that 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 whole stable of games is no longer there and it's now all like you say these western blockbusters that are taking they're know, their own right you know they're they're very good believe me they're, i mean they're uh, really good probably, but and it's probably good it yeah. probably is definitely good for their bottom line otherwise they wouldn't be making that choice but it's yeah. just a bummer for those of us that have the attachments of those japan studio titles don't get me wrong, there's still a bunch of great games coming out of Sony. And I like I'm excited for Returnal. Like how House Marquee has some pretty good stuff. Well, House Mark has some really good stuff. It looks interesting. Obviously, uh Ratchet and Clank Rift Apart, that's gonna be fantastic. Uh honestly, Sony buying Insomniac was one of the smartest things they've done. Um but yeah, I mean, there's still some great stuff coming, and I don't think it's near their um, Sony's library is nearly as homogenized as people have been making it out to be. But on the flip side, I saw somebody say that as of right now, it feels like maybe Microsoft has a more varied first-party lineup than Sony does now. And when you look at them, it's like, yeah, Microsoft hasn't released these games yet, but from purely a variety standpoint they might have a point now and it's like a weird flip-flop from like the end of the ps3 360 generation to now and it's like man that's just really weird what, what, what was that what was that multiplayer game that they showed off at uh state of play the multiplayer game they showed off the state of, which type of multiplayer the, game the not knockout, knockout city knockout city yeah that was actually first revealed in the nintendo direct <laughs> Yeah, yeah, EA. That's EA. Um, oh, I, 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 didn't, I didn't know if like yeah. if that was a Sony thing. Not really. 
Honestly, it actually looks pretty interesting. Uh, I might play a bit of that, but I do think it's not free to play. It's like a twenty dollars purchase, so who knows how? Yeah. I mean, so, crossplay cross will probably mean that it has a somewhat active player base. So thank thank God for that. But I don't know how long it will be like active. It's a it's a one off uh, twenty dollar uh, price with no season passes. So you could just pay twenty dollars, and then that's it. Well, the only reason I brought it up is I was thinking of quirky Sony games. Like, hey, what was that one game they showed uh, right. to play? Oh, and it's not even really a Sony game. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. But it's like, man, think of like Microsoft now. They they didn't really publish the medium, but that was like a console exclusive. They've got Halo Infinite coming out. They've got Avowed coming out. There's um, Forza Horizon, those games, regular Forza. They've got Killer Instinct, if they ever make a new one of them. There's and I know I know Psychonauts 2 is going to be multi-plat, but they've got Double Fine and everything that comes with that in terms of quirky, interesting yeah. games. They've got Bethesda. Bethesda alone has a more varied lineup than Sony First Party these days. And the whole thing as well is that all these studios now within um, Microsoft's portfolio, all those games will be on Game Pass day one digitally. So if you don't care about physical copies, you can just sub to Game Pass and get all these games. Um, which is crazy, um, because as a financial, you know, um, perspective to that, I still don't understand understand how Game Pass is profitable. But never mind, that's another conversation. Um, well, it's, it's, it's I still feel these... that we have to wait a couple of years because a lot of it is still potential. Like, man, uh, Indiana Jones game sure looks good, but is it going to actually be good? Uh, Starfield has has a good premise, but is it actually going to be good? Who knows? Uh, um, I sure hope Obsidian's got something up their sleeve with Avowed. Is it actually good? Like, like it's just it's a bunch of potential at this point. Oh, oh, totally. Yeah. Like, even if it looks like Microsoft's variety in their output's going to be better than Sony in a few years, like we don't know anything about the quality. Like yeah. Sony stuff, even if even if the variety isn't going to be as high, obviously, even at this point, pretty much every first party game that Sony puts out is going to be a good time. Even Days Gone, like it was maybe not the best like reception when it first came out, but like gave it a few months, got a bunch of updates, and pretty much everyone I know that personally played it really enjoys it now. So who knows? And I, and I was just gonna throw in there that uh I can see someone, you know, a company like Bethesda, Microsoft <laughs> might choose to have all those games on PS5 as well. So we don't necessarily know how the Bethesda deal will shape up over the years to come, if it's going to remain like all these games are now Xbox exclusive, or they're going to have the approach of all that that stuff still being multi-platform, even though they are a Microsoft-owned studio or network. I, I, I that they're going to be Xbox exclusive because... I guess um, we'll have to check back in March or whenever that thing is supposed to happen. Yeah. Recently. I think that is because they have obviously xCloud so they can say well you don't have to buy an xbox to play it you can just play it streamed on your phone yeah unless the unless the xCloud app um is the part that becomes the trojan horse on switch and you know maybe ps5 certainly allowed it uh probably wouldn't but uh, okay all the xbox players and i can meet up at the ff7 battle royale we all have phones <laughs> <laughs> playing as ariana grande there you go. Anyway. All right, I do have three more things to talk about here that are just going to... Our rapid fire was a moderate success, maybe? Who knows? <laughs> uh, we've got System Shock Remake, which has been kind of in development limbo for a while now. Uh, it's got a playable demo available on Steam and I think Epic as well. Uh, so 
that is something I didn't realize. It was like the System Shock remake has been something that's kind of been like in the background for like years now. I feel like it's like, yeah, it's coming at some point. Yeah, they're working on it slowly. And the fact that now I'm told, oh, the game's coming out this summer and I can play a demo now. Like I'm finally like perking up and being like, wait, I should try this. Because I've never so, played System Shock, but it seems like I've played a ton of like modern immersive sims. It's a cool game. That yeah. It, yeah. So I played like everything that it's inspired. And, like, so now I got to play the, uh, the inspiration point. What were you saying, James? Don't mind me just downloading that demo now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this from uh, just a refresher. This from uh, Night Dive Studios, and also I think the, this is new. They announced that there will be an Amazon Luna version uh, at launch as well. Whenever this comes out, and that the pre-orders are just for forty-five bucks. It's not a full sixty dollars, seventy dollars product. It's forty-five dollars. And uh, I think I think pre-orders also get the the updated um, the S- System Shock Two Enhanced Edition as a free freebie on that pre-order we've also got an announcement that another eden the cat beyond time and space is coming to pc on steam this spring uh josh tell me about another eden yeah that i've talked about this game uh, uh like you know way way long ago when i used to play it on mobile this is uh obviously a, a pc port coming to steam of a of an rpg free-to-play rpg that was released on um, iOS and Android uh, several years ago. Um, this is the spiritual successor to Chrono Trigger. So Masato Kato is handling the scenario. Yasunori Mitsuda does the musical, like the the main theme for the game and whatnot. I think um, for for other music compositions that you have the Shinsuke Shinsuke Tsuchiya from Luminous Arc Two uh, is also on board for that. But um, I've already expressed, you know, way, way back when I used to play the mobile version, that this is probably one of the best like free-to-play games in that space. Uh, obviously, the, its downfalls uh, come from like it has a gotcha system, you gotcha for characters uh, in it. But they, you do get like the main cast as you progress through the story, and they're like good enough to get through like part one, the part one story arc of that game, which is like forty plus hours anyway. And whatnot it does like a complete conclusive tale and then you know as more story expansions go along they amp up the power level but it's a cool turn-based rpg it's really cool to see them make the move to um steam because like i i don't think it operates very well with the touchscreen because you have to slide your finger back and forth to up uh go through the environments and whatnot it's not really that engaging um just operating with with touch control i think it it'll also allow you to um transfer your mobile prog- progress into the steam version just they have like a they, they, you can like create like a, a transfer code and a password and you can do that so and it's also cool because if this is like the most updated version of the game um there are permanent collaborations with persona 5 and the tales of series in that game as well and un- unlike other uh gacha games and other free-to-play mobile titles that have like limited time collaborations with other things uh, they're only out there for like maybe one or two weeks. While this game is like, no, we'll just make them permanent. They're always going to be there uh, for you to access at any time, which is very it's like cool. a like like Terra Battle in Final Fantasy 15. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, anyone who also like, did have a um, Switch port announced several years back, 2018. It's no news on that, but it's yeah hasn't been canceled, so might end up on Switch. Yeah. As well, Who knows? Soon, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Like I've I've been kind of keeping up and keeping my uh, like with them and seeing like 
they have like these anniversary streams, like you know, obviously every year, seeing is there any update to that switch switch port? Where's the switch port? And then they like haven't acknowledged it ever since. They're saying, yeah, we're working on it, you know, but like nothing else outside of that. So maybe one day, you know, this will pop up on Switch and whatnot, and then you can have another way to play, engage with Persona Five content that's not actually Persona Five uh, on the Switch like that. But it's it's cool. Like anyone who really likes like PS One era RPGs that like likes the the concept of time travel stories like you know this free to play give it a shot see if it's for you obviously i'm not gonna like actively recommend it because you know it's it's a gotcha game you know it's, it's take it or leave it at that point um but that, it's it's pretty cool i like it and the last real rpg note that i have on here or maybe not really an rpg but we have an announcement that Sci-fi, I guess they do title it an RPG. Sci-fi social deduction RPG Nosia. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Nosha. Will launch for Nosha. Nosha will launch for Nintendo Switch on March 4th. This originally released on Vita and Switch back in 2019 in Japan. So um, it'll be Go yeah. ahead, games. I'm excited for this because it got a 10 out of 10 from uh, IGN Japan, and everyone that I know that's played the import really, really enjoyed it. Shame the Vita version isn't getting localized, so the fact that um, Nintendo announced it, I'm sure that they've gotten support from Nintendo for the localization. Makes sense to me. Um, very excited. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I heard that I heard this is uh, oddly enough, this is this was described to me as like uh anime among us, but like imagine uh, imagine it's like an among us premise, but there's like a heavy narrative to uh, surrounding it, like trying to find out like who's the who's the killer or like i think there's even an element of like you can choose to like be one of the humans trying to find the killer like it's like an alien or think or some entity and or like going from the perspective of the killer itself and you're trying to obviously kill enough humans so you outnumber the you know, surviving humans just like you know like any not, not even just among us but you know like mafia werewolf uh those those kind of games and whatnot um i'm really excited i'm very excited like james said a lot of people I've talked to who played this game, and obviously the IG of Japan review have high, very high praise. I'm always down for like almost like a zero escape esque narrative um, type of scenario. It looks it has such a distinct look and style. I love the art, the art direction, uh, character design. It's it's March fourth, so like literally less than a week. Next Thursday. Yeah, yeah I'm <laughs> I'm psyched. I want to give it a look. It's my birthday. Don't tell anybody. Oh shit! And happy birthday yeah. to Alex. <laughs> I'll buy it to myself as a present. Oh, okay, let's all play it together. Do yep. you know how much it? Is? Do you know how much it is? Uh, Twenty-five bucks USD, 20. though. I don't know. I don't know about the no, your. It's probably, it's probably about twenty pounds. And I mean, that's not bad. Like, uh, no. I mean, I know that on the uh, Japanese like PSN, it was like thirty-five hundred yen or something like that. So. I mean, like, the, think of think about it like this, Alex. Like, it, it could be worse. You could be charging sixty dollars for Sword HD, or uh, for Kingdom Hearts two point eight, or whatever it was. Or seventy? Was it eighty dollars for Eternal? Oh yeah, it's like seventy dollars for Eternal. Yeah, I'm 70. still not used to seventy dollar like, basic editions. I, it's seventy pounds for us, which is a lot of money. That is, yeah, that's, Sony is that's so lucky. Dollars. Sony is yeah. so lucky that I trust that developer to make a good game. They're so fucking lucky. <laughs> I yeah, man. I really like Housemark. I just ah oh, that that 
price tag is such a a big pill to swallow for that. I really like the look of the game too. I really like everything that they've shown. It's like, yeah, this is awesome. And then they you, you hear the price tag, it's like, no fucking way. I guess the thing is that Sony prices will drop over time, uh, where um, Nintendo prices typically hold their price for whatever reason. I don't know why. Um, surely it's down to the retailer, not Nintendo, but who knows? So Skyward Sword will always be $60, but Returnal will probably drop to a point where you're happier to buy it. I don't know. It might take a while because like Sony knows that the number of PS5 owners is going to be limited for a while. So why have price drops when anyone that actually has a PS5 would have had to gone through hell and high water just to get a system? That's where a dedicated consumer, 70 bucks? Shit. <laughs> Not a big deal. I'm still trying to get a dual sense charging station in there out of stock. So, yeah. Oh, oh no. I need to get a PS5 before a UP episode at some point. The very last piece of news that I will throw in here right before we wrap up is uh, it is official. E3 as a physical event this year is canceled. It will be a digital showcase, if anything. Though, even then, they've got to get publishers on board, which I don't know if that's a hard sell because why? Why do that when you can just do what Sony and Pokemon and Nintendo have done the last three weeks and control it yourself? I guess that's my mindset. But yeah, no, uh, no E3 this year. That's good. I mean, no. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense that wasn't going to happen because we've had all the major players really doing their own like screen stuff. Like obviously Bethesda. What? Well, Bethesda hasn't, but that doesn't matter to part of Microsoft now. So they'll just be with whatever Microsoft shows off. Obviously, yeah, even, Sony even has their like own stuff. Nippon have done their own things. Mm. Yeah, it's just like, uh, the, the, like like even like this upcoming week, you have this new game plus expo for kind of the mid level publishers of like lo- like localization teams of Japanese games usually conglomerate now and uh, show off their announcements. Like there's like smaller events that like and venues that they'll obviously find an audience for that. So who knows? I mean, maybe let's just convince our our like big boss Alex get an RPG site virtual booth at this year's E3 and pay the big bucks. <laughs> and then get, get a VTuber. Oh, ooh, I like that. Let's go. Let's do it. And by the way, just, just to talk a little bit about how this came about, it was um, some, it was an internal PowerPoint presentation where one of the slides was giving uh, conventions on the books in LA. E3 2021 is listed as a canceled live event in 2021, working with production team on broadcast options from LA Live or the LA Convention Center working on the 22 and 23 license. So that's where this all came from. It's from LA, like tours and documents. I think my my main thought is just that uh, I like the concentrated dose that E3 offers, that everything happens within just a, what, a week and a half, because usually it's not a pure week. But uh, yeah. last year for me was the complete opposite of what I wanted. I, I, don't mind them doing, I don't mind them doing their own individual things or the different publishers. Absolutely don't mind that at all if that's what they want to do this year. I just hope it's more concentrated into a few weeks rather than the yeah. never-ending the, April like, through September. Jeff, yeah. like Jeff, Jeff Keighley uh, is clearly cornering a position for himself with the Game Awards and was it Summer Games Fest? Is that what it's called? Yes, yeah, yeah. gaming. It's like four months and it was just like I don't need this to be. Well, luckily, long. luckily, he's said, already confirmed it's going to start earlier and it's going to be shorter. It's going to only be within like what a month, I think. Two weeks, I think. Two weeks. 
Yeah, I mean, I understand obviously with the promotional side of it, like Steam sales and all that kind of thing that they want to sort of tack on to it. But obviously, for, for I don't know if it was the same for you guys, I find it really hard to know when when the next stream was. Is it relevant to me? Do I yep. need to watch it? What time is it on? You know, it, all that yeah, kind of stuff. It, it, it was it was definitely a mess last year, and it, it didn't help that like you also had like those last minute announcements that were announced like before the day of, like, oh yeah, by the way, we're doing this tomorrow. It's like, wait, what? Fucker. Okay, I and, guess. And you, and you had the more agile, um, prominent sort of uh, websites, and I'm talking about you know IGN, PC Game, and all that kind of stuff, who stepped in uh, in a much more efficient way than uh, ESA did um, to sort of like prop up events last year with everything going on. Obviously, I, I, like the whole of last year has been a mess anyway for everybody. Yeah. But. Um, but it definitely, it definitely was like a wake up call to be like, "Hey, this is our chance to pivot away from the ESA as much as we can," because you know, uh, as much as everyone enjoys E three from outside, like internally, like no one ESA is not popular behind the scenes. Let's say. I, I, I mean, I'm pretty me. sure literally everyone here that's been to E three hates the ESA's guts after they outright doxed us. Well, yeah, yeah. So, and obviously, um. Our site where we all work remotely and we all do this from our own places. It is nice to have opportunities like E3 to meet up because there mm -hmm. is kind of an intangible benefit to be able to do that. But it's not going to happen, at least not this year, not at E3. So next time, uh, maybe PAX Prime or PAX West. Well, uh, e either way, like even if they had a physical event, which wouldn't be great at all. Like uh, we all have to yeah, wait, wait for it to be safe again. Let, let, make sure we, you know, when we meet up, make sure it's like totally, you know, th th things are are safe yeah. again. I, I think we passed the inflection point in terms of COVID, speaking very generally, not in terms of like a metric of whatever. But yeah, it seems like this year is just going to be another coda to last year in terms of live events. Yeah, I think this is the back to normal, well, new normal year this year, where things towards the end of the year will start to get back to how they were and restrictions and things. I don't know what it's like in the US at the moment, but um, for us, certainly. So I think 2022 will be the point when things, you know, depending on what happens with the ESA and what they want to do with E3, um, will then reach our expectation again of. But I don't know. Well, let's see. Let's see if even what what I'm curious is to see what the hell happens with this digital event. It might crash and burn just as spectacularly if no one's on board with it. So, but maybe we can be in June just to see what the heck happens there this year. But if the ESA coordinated all the publishers and said, "Look, we can't have." You know, a physical event again at the convention center. So, what we want to do is uh, you have all of your presentations like you normally would, but then we'll offer some sort of, you know, developer Zoom call talks or something, I don't know, around that. Some sort that, of packaging be, for it, yeah. Yeah, that, that could work. I, I think the thing that probably is starting to turn off a lot of companies is the amount of money it costs to actually right. go three, right? That we are completely oblivious to all the budgets of, but, you know, the, the things we do here are a bit alarming for how much it actually costs, especially for smaller developers as well that don't get those big budgets. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I think if they could just consolidate everything into a couple of weeks, you know, sort of like it is E3, but you can watch it from home kind of thing. Well, I mean, everyone watches it. Most people watch it from home anyway, but, you know, like you just watch it from home this year and you have to go there. Um, that, that could work. But um, I saw... Rep Reggie Fizeme was saying that um, the big thing that E3 digitally lacks is obviously people experiencing games. 
Uh, yep. I don't know how you get around with that, uh, around that, but uh, there was obviously the talks of like Stadia and stuff being quite useful for stuff like that. You shove the demo. On I mean, like the only the, the 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 most feasible way to do that, I feel like that's been done is those uh, Steam demo festivals, those limited yep. demo festivals. Yeah, which is the, the sort of thing where Jeff Keighley stepped in and came up with you know an answer before the ESA could get to it themselves. Um, and that, that's it. That's also, but also that's a different problem as well for E3 because a lot of publishers when they uh, present like E3 demos, usually it's like a it's a it's a vertical slice of a game uh, like in development and you know the people who are attending for professional purposes like have that understanding of like how games are made and that's difficult to convey to the masses of like hey there's a work in development this clearly not done as an early build of a game and like it's it can be done in steam demo festivals because it's like an indie focus indie publisher and there's a, there's like that precedent early access but it, it feels like it's it's much more difficult if they're asking like like well, look how careful cd project was with cyberpunk where on on every single one of their trailers they like slathered it with Working project, final product, whatever, whatever, and then, <laughs> and then people that, uh, were like, "No, what the fuck," you know, and th- that's a different well, problem altogether as well. Why well, people take marketing as promises? Yeah, where if something is different from what was shown in a demo or in a trailer, it's not. Oh, the game was just under development. It's oh, the publisher lied, and mm. in some cases that's true, but in some places I don't think it's as clear cut. It's it's very. I don't think there's any rule where you can say like you always have to treat a piece of marketing and, this and way or that way. And remember that also in the E3 game demos, there are some demos where you're, you're just like guided by a person by you because like those some of those demo builds are so fragile that like if you turn the like the wrong corner or like look a different not intended way, like that whole build just crashes straight up. Go backwards through the level and it just falls apart. Yep. Or whatever. Yep. We will see each other again at one point, sometime, not so soon. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean oh, I, yeah. Obviously, we have to. Most definitely, that's the that's the goal. That's the hope. I really want to see all you guys again. Miss you all. And for some people like George, I want to meet you for the first time in person. You know. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, would absolutely be a shame if uh, these physical events went away for good. Yeah, like a, like e- e- like there there is value in E three, especially like for behind the scenes getting together in person, pitching a project to a publisher and all those talks behind the scenes, like that is invaluable. That is the main like value of E3 because of how just that's not everyone's mind and everyone gets together for that week. So you have everyone for sure at a single place for a week at least. Yeah, it brings in the proximity, lowers the hurdles, all that stuff, all that intangible stuff that's kind of hard to measure, quantify. Well, that wraps us up, I think. Here we are, uh, halfway through hour four <laughs> of our podcast. So, uh, marathon session. Thanks, CD, for uh, that's Alexander Seedhouse for joining us for this extra long session talking about everything from Pokemon to E3 to Final Fantasy and uh, Ariana Grande. Thanks for putting out with me. So, uh, let's see. All the things I got to talk about to close this thing out. We obviously have the review up for Bravely Default 2. We've got the review up for Steven Universe Unleashed the Light. Even though it was published a few weeks ago, obviously it just can release this week. We've got the review for Persona 5 Strikers. We've also got a few guides up for Bravely Default 2 and I believe Strikers as well. 
I wrote up a preview on the project strategy demo. We've got a few gameplay snippets up on our YouTube channel. Uh, we've got all the Final Fantasy news from the state of play. We've got all the Pokemon news from the Pokemon Presents. And everything else we talked about, you can always visit our website at rpgsite.net. You can visit us, uh, follow us on Twitter at rpgsite. We do have a Discord channel uh, server. If you do go to our website, you can click the link at the top of the page to go there. We're also on Facebook and Instagram under rpgsite. And we hold this podcast every week, seemingly. So if you like this, uh, we'll be back next week with more. So until then, stay safe, take care, and we'll talk to you next time.